my fellow challenge lovers, welcome to the Challenge Historian, where we dive deep into all things the challenge, past, present, or future. If it's happening in the challenge universe, then we are here to document it. I am your host and dedicated challenge historian, Jacob Hollaball. Thank you so very, very much for being here with me today. On today's podcast, the rewatch series continues. However, slight change, first of its kind change for the first time in the history of this rewatch series, which is now done 16 seasons deep. We are going out of order for the first time ever, and hopefully one of maybe even the only time ever. Today's podcast is all about Fresh Meat 2, one of my absolute favorite seasons of all time, a great, great season to talk about, and I had a great guest on to talk about it with me, the wonderful Mike Lewis from the Mike Lewis Podcast. If you're not following, if you're not listening to his interviews of Challenge cast members, others from the MTV world, then you're doing yourself a disservice. Go follow Mike. But here's the thing, a little behind the curtain. The reason we're going out of order is not because of any, you know, where that we're skipping the Duel 2 or that we're skipping the Ruins. God forbid we skip the Duel 2, let alone the Ruins. We're not going to skip either one. We're doing both of them. We meant to be doing one of those, the Duel 2 today. However, things got a little backlogged here at the Challenge Historian. We were running a little behind, and we already had our interview scheduled with Mike. I had done the rewatch of that season a little bit in advance, so we were ready to go. We recorded, and then some things came up over the weekend, and instead of finishing the Duel 2 podcast, I realized I already had one in the can there, waiting, ready to go, so why not just skip ahead, make things a little bit easier, make things fit in the schedule a little bit better, and most of all, make sure that we had a rewatch podcast coming out today on this Monday. We kept to the schedule. We're trying to get through as many of these seasons by the end of the year as we can. We couldn't skip another week, God forbid, and I really didn't want to stay up all night super duper sick, if I'm being honest. So we're bringing fresh meat to today. Myself, Mike Lewis, breaking it all down. It was a wonderful time. It's a great podcast. You're going to love it. And then we will be back next week to hit the duel two the week after that with the ruins and then on to cutthroat and back in order for the foreseeable future there. I don't plan on going out of order again, but for this one, it worked out that that's just how it was best going to be. And that's how it is. So that's what you got today. Fresh meat to me and Mike. Other programming notes. Remember, if you're a Survivor watcher, I'm covering Survivor over on Most Likely 2 podcast feed with Paige. Those are coming out Saturday mornings. Later this week, we've got our season 38 full season preview podcast coming out on Wednesday and Challenge documentary recap coming out on Friday. So you still got the three pods this week, just a different rewatch series than we originally planned. But if you've been waiting on the Duel 2, if you've done your Duel 2 rewatch, hats off to you. Well done. I apologize if you haven't done the fresh meat one, but uh, you'll be all right. We'll hit hit the Duel 2 next week, and then you can do your fresh meat 2 rewatch after you've listened to this wonderful podcast. Or if you need to, you can put this away for now. Just make sure you come back when you've done your rewatch and you are ready to break it all down with myself and Mike, which I am right now. So without further ado, let's get into it. Here is myself, Mike Lewis, breaking down one of the all-time great seasons, Fresh Meat 2. 
All right, challenge lovers, because we are discussing such an amazing season of the challenge today, Fresh Meat 2, one of my all-time favorites, I knew I had to find an amazing guest co-host to match the occasion, and I have done just that. There's a very good chance you already know of this man and love listening to this man from his incredible interviews on his own podcast, and if you don't, you need to get to work. You've got a lot of great content in your future. From the Mike Lewis podcast, we've got Mike Lewis himself with us today mike thank you for joining us how are you doing my friend thank you for having me i'm so excited to be here you know i've seen a lot of your stuff through the grapevine i think you do a very good job and the whole concept of your podcast is really cool and i think it's something unique and i'm glad that you're doing it and i'm glad to be a part of it and there's no better season to talk to talk to (laughs) you about (laughs) i appreciate that and yes you did You picked very well, my friend, because as I've started to try to reach out to other experts in the challenge world here about seasons, trying to get some co-hosts lined up, I've been very obviously just want to have wonderful folks like yourself join me, but I've also been very curious because it's my way of asking people like yourself also like, hey, I'd love to have you come on. I'm at this season. So, you know, any of these next five, six seasons, something of of interest to you and to have people jump at like you did of like definitely this one like oh okay good that tells me something about you you've got good taste you picked you picked correctly before we dive into fresh meat too just to give you know the listeners a little bit background if they haven't been listening to all your wonderful interviews and everything on the mike lewis podcast which again if you're not i don't know why you're not i'm sure you're at least aware of it if you're aware of anything in the challenge world but for those who may need a little extra background, can you give us the kind of cliff notes of where your challenge or MTV fandom came from and kind of when you decided to take that and start a podcast with it and how that's all going for you? Yeah, so just the basis here, I think the very first footage or clips that I've ever seen of the challenge was the duel two and i probably was about seven years old at the time (laughs) i think it was brad versus mj's elimination on the duel two dual pole dancing i believe it was called we had Mm -hmm. to climb that uh little pole thing and kind of ring that bell that was the first thing that i ever watched of the challenge i was like wow like this is this is interesting like this is something new and so i watched the end of duel two obviously and I uh, was furious with how Landon, <laughs> how Landon's season unfolded, seeing as how like that was the the season. I think we could probably agree that was probably his best all around season. Ironically, it's the one that he didn't win. So mm-hmm. uh, that kind of had me like so mad. And then uh, <laughs> so that was like my first incarnation into the challenge. And then from there on, obviously, I watched all the full seasons from there forth. So yeah, about two years ago when COVID first started, obviously, as you guys know, not a whole lot was going on in the world the first few months that we were into it. And so I was looking for something to do and I decided, you know, I just wanted to start a channel. Wasn't quite sure if the podcast was even like in my radar, but that's just kind of what it fell on. And the challenge was obviously something I was interested in. And I was analyzing from a standpoint of like sort of a sport, but sort of like a show at the same time. Like they were kind of intertwined with each other because I am a big sports fan, but I'm also like a big just TV fan too. And I decided, you know, maybe just give it a stab at it and started interviewing people. And 
I became interested in hearing like some of the thoughts behind like their actions on the shows or like stuff we didn't even see on the show. So I just kept doing that. And I quickly noticed that there was an audience for it that I wasn't even aware of when I got started. And so I just became passionate about putting out content for other people to see. Like that was just something that I never anticipated, like people coming to my space to see or hear insight from me talking to other people is just something that's really cool and i think that's one of the rare and beautiful arts that we have to offer today with social media yeah that's amazing and i got a little bit of an inkling from you know one of the folks that you mentioned during that but who would you say to give us a little bit knowledge of your kind of taste challenge taste before we get into kind of shape help us shape where some of your opinions about this season we're going to talk about come from who are some of your favorite and least favorite cast members ever and maybe a season or two that are favorite or least favorite ever so we can kind of get where your spectrum of what you like and don't like from the challenge comes from because it's one of the great things about this big vibrant challenge audience that i've been pretty shocked by honestly i knew there was obviously you know not my opinions were not the only opinions that some people loved certain seasons some people hated certain players whatever but having done you know 16 17 seasons into this rewatch series i have been blown away by some of the seasons where i do where i'm like yeah it wasn't that good you can kind of tell if you listen that i'm like not super excited about it the way like i am about a season like the one we're talking about today and then i'll get messages from people like how dare you like i that's my favorite season it's so amazing or like how do you don't like this person you thought they weren't like good like, what are you talking about and i'm just like I'm glad everyone's got their defenders. Every season's got their defenders, but I wasn't wasn't anticipating how different everyone's opinions could be. So, where what's give us a little rundown of maybe your couple favorites or least favorites to give us an idea of your challenge taste. Yeah, as far as seasons go, when when if I'm asked like on the spot, what are, what are like your favorite seasons of the challenge? The ones that immediately come to mind are the one we're going to be covering today. So, Fresh Meat Two. I gravitate towards Cutthroat a lot, believe it or not, and I okay. gravitate towards Rivals too. Those would probably be in my top three in terms of enjoyment. If I were to tell a casual fan who's just kind of, you know, watching for the first time and wants to get into it, I would tell them those are the seasons you might want to check out. They're easy to follow, in my opinion, and I thought the concepts and challenges behind them were also really cool and unique as well. Those are my three favorite. If I'm ever just bored one day and I just want to go back and enjoy and watch something, those are like the three that I would go back and watch. So those are my three favorite seasons. As far as least favorites go, might be recent <laughs> recency bias here. <laughs> I might want to just, just list say off it. Them. Everyone, everyone says it. It's I, okay. I think, I think the last, well, Total Madness was okay, but I, I, I honestly didn't even watch 37. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, I, I watched the premiere of 37 and then I just kind of, you know, tuned out. But if, if you know, I just want to go basically based on old seasons, the island probably goes near the bottom of my list. Surprisingly, Duel 2 wasn't as great as I expected it would be. Whoa. That's okay. Now, now we've got to something. I'm glad I was like, I feel I'm starting to get the feeling like we're going to agree on just so many things throughout the day, but now that's, that's no longer true. Cause how dare you? The dual two is damn near perfect. It is a slightly, it's a very good, it's a very well-produced season, which is 
sometimes can be hard to find in the challenge world as recent seasons are definitely bringing back into the forefront production related issues. But I, I love the duel too. It, it is a touch boring at times compared to other, other seasons of the yeah, challenge it wasn't a bad compared season. to other things, but That's... yeah, I've, I've got a lot of love for that season. <laughs> what about cast members then? Cast members, as far as favorites go, I'm obviously going to be a big Landon fan. I'm a fan of Jordan's. If you ask me right now who I think the greatest of all time is, I would say CT. Just based okay. on like, you know, kind of like the volume of his wins, not necessarily the number of his wins. I would gravitate towards them right now as far as, you know, the male cast members go. This is going to be a wild answer for female cast members. My favorite female cast member is Teresa. All right. Yes. I and think I think if we're just speaking to like here. prime Teresa, she has like the total package for like a cast member I think you want. It's not afraid to make messy political moves, is a good athlete, performs well in dailies. The drama factors there, the competition factors there. Obviously the elimination record doesn't really speak too too well, but I think if you really analyze her seasons, you would think like the elimination record is more deceiving yeah and, I, and a little indicative of her partners yeah too. she didn't necessarily always win her her half of the battle in some of those eliminations either but was a much more even matchup when you know like the exes exes two you know she's an even matchup when she in her and west lose and it's west getting destroyed by leroy as everyone pretty much on that, that season got destroyed by leroy deservingly and you know working with jay on double agents double agents, or whatever yeah. yeah and so who i love jay but again didn't quite stack up when it came to who they then had to go against and whatnot although she ended up going out solo to casey but you know that's that's fair okay i'm 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 with you on teresa and i think exactly correct of thinking of like great cast member not like who's the best competitor right. at it which you know anytime anyone talks about like the best person on the show or whatever it's like well i need you to qualify what are you actually asking me here you actually ask me who i think is the best at winning the challenge and like doing the stuff or like the best for the show or a mixture of that or whatever is there anyone anyone that would be polarizing on your i don't really like or vibe with this person that most people would <sighs> that's interesting because after kind of interviewing so many people it's leveled me out a lot to where I kind of want to give them the benefit of the doubt, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, because when it comes to interviewing, you're kind of forced to be neutral, or at least I am. So at the moment, I can't really quite pinpoint, and plus I'll get myself in trouble considering <laughs> I talked like that. It's all good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you on, I'm, I'm to, to like a fault really bad at like giving everyone the benefit of the doubt and especially like the older cast members that as we go through these seasons and like some of them act like complete pieces of shit. Like, yeah, I am the easiest and quickest as anyone who's been listening to this and has already listened to the Island rewatch knows like I'm a little bit too much of an apologist sometimes of like, obviously this person's a way better person now than they were then. And like, do you have any track, like anything to go off of with that? N I don't, not, not really, but like, I, I would like to believe it. And so that's, that's what I'm going with. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm with you both of, if you're going to talk to him, of course, you got to go in neutral and like want to, you know, dig in or find out why, you know, ask some of the reason, like if, if a bunch of fans aren't a big fan of this person, maybe why, or get the real story behind it. Cause all this stuff is highly edited. They're 
trying to craft a narrative about each and every one of the people. And I think one too many times I've found out via interviews like the one that you ones that you do about someone who's like, yeah, in this season, this is actually like what was happening. And they used kind of these three clips. And the only part I was involved was like, as like a villain for this storyline. And I was briefly in it, but like, that wasn't, you know, anything that happened or like me and this person actually liked each other. Like we were in the same room and we hung out, but like that one time we kind of got in an argument was the only thing that they put in the whole season. So now people think like, like we hate each other or whatever. So I've just, I've been burned one too many times by the editing to know that I'm just really easy to forget and forget and forgive. And if you're bringing interesting things to the show, that's all I care about. If you're super duper boring and for some reason they're still inviting you back, that's the only time I'm like, I don't dislike these people as people, but you know, the, you know, the obvious current example being Casey, incredible competitor, absolutely kicks ass is one of the favorites to win anytime she steps on, no matter who her partner would end up being. But it is, you know, if you're the, if you're completely in the background of an entire season, which I know you didn't end up watching, but she's dating Nani. There's no one in the history of the show. A lot of people have dated Nani in the history of the show and never has it been a background non-story, even possibly because they haven't been great relationships in the past. And their current one is wonderful. Shout out Casey and Nani, but you're winning the season and dating Nani the whole season. And somehow you're barely on the screen. That just tells me that, you know, maybe you're just too nice and good of a person and you're just not, you know, maybe you're not meant for the TV part. You're definitely meant for the sport part. So, you know, I'm with you is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we've got a little basis to work off of here. And uh, thankfully for one of the few seasons that has no bananas or CT. So we don't have to get into that argument because that's the only other thing I disagreed with you there. But I know slowly but surely over the last couple of years, I've been abandoned on my island that I can't believe I am the only one out here left in the challenge fandom standing by. Bananas is better than CT, but that's for a different podcast that will be its own marathon podcast of breaking that down one day let's move into this season fresh meat two and we will start for those who have been listening to these rewatches for a while you know we're slowly but surely kind of changing up how we do it a little bit as we've incorporated some guest co-hosts and it's not just me out here monologuing for days but we're still pretty much sticking to the same categories we're gonna start with a little high level just coming to some of the basics of the seasons move into breaking down you know the four or five biggest storylines and then of course hand out all the awards we always got to hand out a bunch of awards here which will also give us a chance to talk about some of the non-big headline storyline aspects of the season so we're going to start high level and where the challenge was at at this time which actually before we do i guess my final question then for you mike if you popped in with you know dual two era right before this season have you gone back and watched most of the stuff from before at least that that that's available out there i'm guessing yeah you're at your age you've probably you're you've never had a chance to watch seasons one through nine because they just still won't put them out anywhere in the world (laughs) you know i've luckily i've got some good uh, people within the fandom who have access to these seasons Mm -hmm. that i've been able to con back and okay good watch, watch out so yeah i've gotten a basis of you know those earlier seasons luckily but okay good and well it's very important for this this season too because of the storylines coming in i liked what you said earlier about this season being one of the ones that is really really easy to follow that's one of the Mm -hmm. many things we're about to touch on that makes it so good and it's both 
you do need to know this everything coming in with this cast but also if you didn't if this was the first season you ever watched it wouldn't take you more than a, a couple of minutes to figure out like okay there's a reason these two are the you know the focus they clearly hate each other i don't i'll figure out why they hate each other so much later on but you can tell who's versus who what's going on what the strategy is the whole way through so the state of the challenge at the time the road rules is gone it's been long gone we're now on like season four or five of casting without any road rules to pull from and really season like seven or eight because viewers revenge again as I say repeatedly, was not, we probably shouldn't even really count that as a season of the road rules, but the real world has found its footing again. It kind of had that one Hollywood season where it's like, oh my God, is the real world done? And it's like, nope, it's not. We got Brooklyn, we got Cancun, we've got great cast members coming into the challenge and great real world seasons. But the challenge is still, because road rules has been gone for a while, they are needing to pull people from new shows. They've got this reputation. It is no, it's noticeable that they starting to get to more of like 20 to 24 cast members a season is the number versus there was a kind of 10 season stretch there where it was like, if we can do 30 in a season, we're gonna do 30, but clearly they need, they need people still. They've had a bunch of OGs kind of retire from the show. And so for this season, they bring back Fresh Meat 2, Fresh Meat was the first time they ever brought anyone from non-Road Rules, real world. They clearly feel both from a format, it worked so well the first time, but also just we need another injection of new cast members. They bring it in, they bring back Fresh Meat to Mike, were you, or do you feel similar about Fresh Meat as you do Fresh Meat 2? And do you like the Fresh Meat concept in general? Are you okay with them bringing people into the show who had not previously been on, not just not been on Road Rules or Real World, but not been on any show, which was kind of the big, I think, part for some of the cast that was like, it's not even that they weren't on those two shows, it's that they weren't on any show that, uh, that kind of ruffled some feathers. I think that... I'm okay with it simply due to the fact that most of those people that are getting pulled onto those shows anyway were like finalists for either the road rules or real world. So, I mean, if they weren't on an original show, it wasn't maybe because they couldn't be on the show. It's just numbers at that point, right? Like you're only allowed seven people at most, you know, to be on road rules or real world. So it wasn't necessarily an indictment of like, oh, these guys might not be a fit for the show. It's just they didn't make, you know, the initial cut of being on a real world season. But obviously production saw fit for them here. So it wasn't like they weren't good enough. It's just that they maybe thought that they were a better fit on the challenge. I mean, look at Laurel for an example. You yeah. know what I mean? She was a finalist for real world Brooklyn, I believe. I think if you look at those two seasons, Fresh Meat 2 and real world Brooklyn, it's very clear that the right decision was made. Yeah, I can't, I kind of can't imagine Laurel in a, in a real world house Let at that Brooklyn. time, like, Brooklyn yeah, and world. just, you know, Laurel today, sure, but yeah, you know, Laurel of this moment in her life, but yeah, I feel like, I feel like it would have been great, actually, as far as, you know, what it would have added even more drama to, to that house in that season, but it's spot on that, yeah, it, it definitely helps that all these people were you know, they were cast for those shows to begin with. And it was just the numbers thing, like you said, which makes it way, way better and way more kind of acceptable to fans. And I think cast members alike than like today when some people are kind of 
upset with like this person was on what show this person's just an influencer like and they get to come on or whatever it was like no 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 like the laurels like they were they were they were in the final round like you might know them you they might have been supposed to have been on a season you know like john a i know was like a couple seasons in a row before cancun where it was like she was going to be on fresh meat one she was going to be on this season then she finally ends up on a real world season that made it you know fit a lot more but clearly the producers also are smart enough to realize like you can't have a laurel or teresa for that matter walk in and you when you realize we don't have a spot for them on you know on whatever next real world season is the if they would have passed up meeting laurel in person and not being like you should you should be on this other thing we got going like that's i mean like that's gonna work out really well for you that would have just been an incredible disservice to to the fandom so they they knew what yeah. they were doing apparently teresa was actually like offered a spot for hollywood season but then opted to go back to school for another semester so then they ended up using her and saving her for fresh meat too imagine that what a fantastic decision that she made well or, she could you know, have been the circumstances because the lone representative of hollywood at that point to like carry that season because that's like kind of referred to as like the ghost season that's like one of the i think explanations rather for why i think they chose to do a, a fresh meet too when they did it because i think like they the payoff for cast members of hollywood and brooklyn they weren't necessarily getting that onto the challenge you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. They kind of got two seasons out of Hollywood. It was a quick little flame out. And then they all just kind of went on and didn't do shows after that. And then Brooklyn, I mean, you had Sarah that was perennially doing them. But then there was kind of like a lot of them that didn't do any. And then the ones that did were more sporadic, like Chet and JD and Caitlin. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, they kind of needed to. And yeah, they definitely needed it because, you know, this was peak time. There was about 10 real world seasons in a row that was like, all right, we need five of you to be on the next season of the challenge. Like literally like five of the seven, you're going to be on the next season. You're all going to do at least one challenge. But like we, you know, Austin right away, five of them did the next two seasons that were available. Key West was the same. Philadelphia was the same. And then that that really hit a roadblock with Hollywood. But if Teresa was on Hollywood, that means Teresa's first season of the challenge likely would have been the island. And, you know, good fucking luck. Just, you know, <laughs> I I don't want to be a cast member whose first season is the island. And I also don't want have wanted to be a female cast member whose first season of the challenge would have had to be going through yeah. the island. I don't know that we would have gotten a lot of Teresa after that because I, I would think most sane people if they would have been put in that situation would like no that this isn't this is not what i thought it was going to be this is not nearly as fun as the house that she eventually ends up in as a rookie in british columbia so this season then the quick basics of the season the location is british columbia it's fall we're going to talk about that in a moment the this season airs in cut this out in a minute didn't have this ready to go on the side this season airs in 2010, April to June. We are sticking with what is now four or five seasons in of the hour-long format, 10-episode season. So less episodes, less time on our calendars, but longer episodes and only the one round per episode, which, you know, much different than the first times they ever tried the hour-long episodes were basically just two 30-minute episodes aired back-to-back -back where they do the men's round and the women's round over and over. We've got TJ Lavin here, of course, hosting his now 
eighth straight season in what would become the permanent hosting gig. Ten episodes, a reunion, as well as a special afterwards, and 26 cast members who are as follows. Landon from Philadelphia, Kenny from Fresh Meat, Jillian from Road Rules Extreme, Jen from Denver, Ryan and Ev from Fresh Meat, Wes from Austin, CJ from Cancun, Danny from Austin, Caitlin from Brooklyn, Paula from Key West, Sarah from Brooklyn, and Darrell from Campus Crawl, joined by 13 Fresh Meat, Carly, Laurel, Pete, Noir, Ten or Teresa, Luke, Mandy, Sydney, Sandy, Brandon, Jeff, Vinny, and Cara Maria. An absolutely stacked for the second time in a row. Just an incredible group of fresh meat that they brought in. They, they, they nailed this two for two for the second time. Just an incredible job. And again, you know, pulling from finalists for their other shows. They were obviously working with, you know, folks they had won it on TV for a reason. And they, they really nailed it for the second season in a row. Couple quick things on these kind of basics of this season. The location being British Columbia. I am one that is definitely like on record, you know, like warm weather seasons are the best seasons because, you know, we want them in the pool. We want them having a good time generally. We don't want them, you know, bundled up in the rain and the snow all the time for every daily challenge. They're not having as good of a time. It ruins kind of the vibe of the season. But if someone were to tell me they like cold weather seasons or they aren't like as big on like it has to be like in Mexico in the summer, like, you know, bathing suit weather the whole time, their evidence, their best evidence to point to would be this season because we're in British Columbia. It's beautiful and it's fall. We start the season and, you know, they're in the hot tub and stuff, but, the, you know, they're wearing, they're wearing T-shirts and shorts by the end of the season. It's about to snow. They're climbing a snow capped mountain. It is very cold. I think it's the only true like fall weather season where we get to see it go from like borderline summer to borderline winter in one season. Are you are you a, a team like got to have a warm weather season or do you like that the season is kind of like let's actually see three seasons in one season? I agree with the notion that hot weather seasons are kind of essential if you want a good like tv show both visually and from a standpoint of cast members like typically are more inclined to be more like you know active and like lively during hot weather seasons but i will say that if you were to ever do a coldish weather season and successfully pull it off it would be this one yeah i, I think it just it just works so well yeah, this is my favorite house. Like, if anybody who's listened to any of my ep earlier episodes when I have Fresh Meat 2 people on, I always talk about this. Is like, I love this house. And I, that's, like, actually one of my talking points. I always ask my guests that are from that season. I'm like, that's got to be the best house you've ever been in. And they kind of um, agree. With you, that was the next thing to touch on. It's, it's tricky from the outside. I'm glad you've asked so many about it. Obviously, from the outside, you know, we get a great – a great view of the house but you know we've never like went through the house or anything but i do put this one this is in my top three of definitely like the greatest challenge houses they've ever had paula says it when they first go in which you know someone on every season they get the you know the clip of course of oprah would someone be say jealous. this is the greatest house in the world but yeah she says oprah would be jealous and i feel like that's like a true comment that's not just like we need some hey can someone say that this house is fucking awesome so we can put that in a confessional it's <laughs> massive it's beautiful. I'm a outdoorsy guy. The big log, the log cabin vibe, you know, plays to plays to my desires. But 
while it doesn't have a pool, it's got the hot tub, which is fine. It's math. Like there's just so much room when they have all their parties, which they have many this season. There's so much room. They've got the backyard. They can freaking hit the golf ball around, which I love the different couple different golf scenes we get in this season. And just overall, it's, it's so beautiful. It's aesthetically pleasing the whole time. And because it starts and it's warm and we get a lot of hot tub time, we get a lot of party time. The house seems to have good AC and heat so they can, you know, they don't have to be bundled up while they're in there. It, it works out really, really well in that by the end of the season, it's like, oh, things are getting harder. Things are getting harder. Things are getting harder. And it, part of it is the elements are getting worse. It's getting colder. Every time they get in the water, it's a little bit worse. The next three days later, it's like, God, we have to get in this water again, TJ. It was really cold last time. Like, what are we <laughs> doing? So love all of that. And the other thing I love about just kind of the basic format of the season is the combine in the draft. So this is one of my biggest challenge stances and opinions. I recently on my hundredth episode did the hundred challenge takes and a lot of them were, you know, I had to get to a hundred. So I, you know, am I going to fiercely stand by all of them? Maybe not. Maybe I was just trying to get to a hundred, which is why earlier I didn't, didn't hear you should get the shout out to, to X's two, your elite, most elite season of all time. Oh I yeah. We'd get that in your favorite seasons ever. But one of those was that the draft, the idea of a draft for teammates in, in the world of the challenge is three for three of holding a some sort of combine or one daily challenge in the case of War of the Worlds and then doing a straight up draft for partners. It's three for three. It works every time. It's amazing every time. And this season, of course, it works flawlessly both. It's entertaining. It's interesting. I wish we would have seen more of the combine. I'm glad the combine stats exist online to be able to really assess everyone's pick, but it also it's worked out with the teams that get picked every time leading to kind of like an interesting set of teams and just, it works out every time. So Mike, why have, I'm not even gonna ask, should they bring this back in the future season? Because if you want to disagree that they shouldn't go right ahead, but why do you think they have not attempted a combine and draft style again? Or do you think they're only willing to do that on a fresh meat style season? Because the third time they do it is War of the Worlds 1, which is essentially fresh meat 3, given that half of the cast is brand new and you know from all, all different places around the world and different TV shows and everything. But it's three for three. It works every time. Why have they not done this more? That would have been the time to do it, I think. Would have been War of the Worlds 1, right? To do a, yeah. another combine. They do the daily on... challenge, which is like, you know, they get to watch them perform or whatever, the, where they have to like, the balls roll down the sand hill and they have to go get one and bring it back up or whatever. So it's kind of like they do it, but they don't do like a combine combine. And yeah, that would have been great. Can you imagine Pauly Calafiori doing, having to like do a combine on television? You know how into it he would get? Oh, oh my just God. For that alone. <laughs> or War of the Worlds one, Josh doing a combine for all of us. Like <laughs> nowadays, right now, present day, Josh would crush a combine. That man yeah. is, he's got the bug. He's absolutely jacked and fit out of his mind, but yeah, it would have been so good. Passed up on potential good opportunity right there. Yeah, and I wonder if there's obviously more footage of this Fresh Me 2 combine that exists because, you know, we get the little montage of just some people doing pull-ups. Uh, yeah. Noir run, running and, I mean, they say he ran a 4.8. That, that man looked like he was going faster than that. If I've, you know, I've watched my fair share of NFL combines. I feel like he was, he was even lower, but yeah. I, Surprisingly, I'm, the guys that put up the best numbers, aside from Nora, obviously, 
were Luke and Jeff. They actually surprised. Yeah. So we're going to come back to Jeff's numbers a little bit later on when we talk about who Paula should have picked in the kind of what if around Paula this season. But yeah, Jeff, the on, so they did pull-ups, they do a vertical leap, a 40-yard dash, and then an obstacle course, which is really has two puzzles in it. So on freshman one, they had one that was just called like the logic. They just had to do a puzzle or whatever. And someone did it in seven seconds and someone DQ'd after 25 minutes, which is hilarious. But this one, they had to do like run and jump over a wall and then do a puzzle. And yeah, Jeff is a standout. We might as well just say it now. I think I have it later, but we'll reference it again later. One of the best athletic performances of the entire season is Nor, who has the most pull-ups, has the second highest vertical jump, even though he is tiny, tiny person. He has by far the fastest 40-yard dash, and he has the fastest obstacle logic puzzle course. So he smoked this whole thing. He was a deserving number one pick. Before we talk about some of the other picks that were made. That'll come a little bit later. Let's just move right into, you know, the biggest storylines of the season. And there's one that is obvious and that we will, of course, talk about in depth, which is Wes and Ev versus Kenny. But before we do, to lead into that, we have to talk, we've already kind of talked about it a little here. The casting job on this season is another one of my, like, real, real big takes about the challenge and opinions that I'll always hold is, this is the best job casting ever did in the history of the show because the job of casting isn't necessarily to just like get the biggest names possible. There's other seasons. I think I, if I have to pick the duel is probably the best cast ever as far as like the 20 people that are on the duel one, like 16 of them are like all time hall of fame level names or whatever. So if you're just going big names or whatever, that one, you know, is reign supreme and there's a bunch of them that are like that but this one the real job to me of casting isn't just like let's get the biggest names possible and see what happens it's to actually think through in advance who are we casting what kind of roles to some degree do we want them to play and more so what do we think this cast brings us an opportunity wise what storylines do they have from the past that coming in that we can kind of force to happen so with this cast they knew as they did this, like, we are not going to invite Johnny Bananas. We're not going to invite CT because we've had this thing between Wes and Kenny going for multiple seasons in a row, but we haven't. And, you know, we just came off the ruins where they were on it together and, you know, sparks flew, but it was kind of everyone versus Wes. It wasn't just Kenny versus Wes. And they knew coming into this, like, right, we're not going to have any of these other big guys that are going to, you know, suck up oxygen. We're going to have Wes and Kenny. We're going to add Evelyn to it because Evelyn also hates Kenny and will be on Wes's side. And then otherwise, we're not going to have big heavy hitter names. We're going to have a Landon as like the best, Landon and Darrell as the best, you know, big names coming in. But they're both quieter. They're not trying to dominate storylines. They're trying to sit in the back. We want this to be Wes and Evelyn versus Kenny. They knew that going in. They created the opportunity for that to happen, which it, of course, then plays out perfectly for them. But between that, between knowing like Jen, Ryan, Sarah, Paula, Jill, even Danny, if I regrettably have to add him <laughs> to the list, like those are the perfect secondary players that are going to be really, really good. They're professionals at this, at this point, they're going to be awesome, but they're also going to have no problems with going in day one and just looking around being like, oh yeah, we're, we're going to frame all of this as it's these two guys going against each other. 
So do you, that's, that's a long, long winded. It's one of my favorite arguments to make, but do you agree that, you know, the job of casting isn't necessarily just big names, but is to like try to manufacture or create not in a fake way, but like in a, like, if we know, if we put these people together, this mix, these are the possible results and we'll hope for the best that that's the real job. And that this season, they just absolutely nailed that. Yeah, I do. I think that there's probably somewhat of an emphasis actually on that with judging by how big that storyline was over the last few seasons leading up to that. They probably geared that entire thing around those two guys, but we're like, let's not include, you know, Kenny's usual band of guys that kind of like run the show. We're going to have him on his own and then kind of see like how he acts without having his like heavy hitters behind him to help, you know, control the game like he usually does. And they had like a good mix of like secondary people because they were all like middle ground people, usually people that aren't used to playing like a totally political game. Like, you know, notoriously, we don't really see like Jen and Ryan or like Landon ever having to like really pick sides, you know what I mean? And this was one of those games where it was like you either had to pick Kenny or Wes. Yeah, I enjoyed that. Because it, it was a good play on the game, but it was more of an even bigger play around just their rivalry in general. Yeah, and I just think, I mean, again, it, it has to work out, but I think they this was very purposeful by them picking these people for exact reasons, and then it did just, you know, it played out perfectly, and, you know, that's, that's also a thing with production of the show. Sometimes things work out exactly as you want and give you the best case thing. Sometimes they don't but it's about creating the opportunity for really great stuff to happen. And they did that this season. And then the cast itself and every, how it all unfolded delivered on that for sure. So let's get into then the Wes and Ev versus Kenny rivalry on this season. It's, you know, it more than almost any season ever before this, you know, usually when I'm doing the main storylines of a season, some seasons it's like i don't even know what the like there wasn't one overarching one there's kind of like five or six that happened for three episodes or whatever some seasons it's like yeah these two or three things were the big one this season is one where it's like no if we all if we only had to talk about one storyline we'd still pretty much cover most of the season because it's really just every episode the only thing the focus is wes's side versus kenny's side and I got to make sure it's always Wes and Evelyn's side. It's, you know, framed a little more Wes versus Kenny, but it's just as much. If Wes wasn't there, this this would have played out exactly the same just with Ev versus Kenny and like Ev, Evelyn would have been on her own as like the only person on that side, but everything would have happened the exact same. They, for different reasons, both had a lot of history and a lot of beef with Kenny. Let's, I will at some point read through the episode by episode how this goes down, but we'll kind of, there's kind of two halves to how this rivalry goes and who's kind of winning, who's not, and how, how it impacts the season. So the early part is the first couple episodes, Wes's political brilliance, which he, you know, gives himself plenty, plenty of credit for over the years. And, you know, most fans would agree he does, it's, mostly deserved to say like he is one of the master manipulators in the history of this game if there's anyone out there that's ever like you know wes isn't actually that good at this or like wes is like political social game like it's just a bunch of talk this is the season you'd go watch or he would probably point them to like just watch the first three episodes of fresh me too stop there don't stop there because then it goes downhill but the first couple episodes wes's 
sway in the house his brilliance as a manipulator and a politician is on full display most notably right the first day the first daily challenge it ends kenny and laurel have won but wes immediately pulls kenny aside and for one single episode gets him on his team and not only gets kenny on his side of things in a matter of like two minutes they are able to get the entire house to vote the exact same way, the entire house. And, you know, Kenny even comments on it after the fact of like, holy cow, like, I can't believe this guy. Like we had five minutes between getting home from the daily challenge and we did this vote and every single person in this house raised their hands exactly when Wes wanted them to. I cannot believe someone did this. So the start of this game is all Wes all the time. He's got the numbers, he gets everyone on his side and he's running things. And is this, I mean, where where does this stand as far as I don't remember many seasons, even if it doesn't last, that anyone ever had like this type of control over a house so quickly to truly have every single person doing exactly what you want on day one. I don't think we've seen this before. No, I think this was like a masterclass through three episodes, of course. Obviously, we know how it ended up turning out, but had the daily challenges gone a different way this season we possibly could have looked at the way it was at least up to that point, like the trajectory speaking. Had Laurel and Kenny not dominated the dailies the way they did, this possibly could have went on to be the greatest political season we might have ever seen in challenge history. Had Wes done better in the daily challenges and gotten more of the control over it. Yeah, I'm right with you. It's, I mean, it really truly is, you know, through the first five episodes, Wes and Ev are running every single thing. Every single decision is theirs. The only thing thwarting this is the fact that Kenny and Laurel win four of the first five daily challenges. And as the main target for Wes and Ev, that, you know, always ends up being then one of your side versus one of our side, because we both get to pick someone to go in. The other part of the real kind of feather in his cap, if you will, for Wes in this early part is he brings in Landon and there, there's two of them. We'll, we'll talk about both. The first one is he brings in Landon, which no one had ever done before. Landon had done three seasons of the show. Yes. Two of them team-based where, you know, the alliances aren't going to be as big of a deal, but still those seasons had their alliances within them and certain things. And he was just, you know, notorious for, I'm not taking part in that. I'm here to have a good time. I think everyone will realize that I'm way better at this than everyone else. And so I'm not going to be like a target. You want me here when we're on teams. And then, you know, on the duel two, it ultimately is his downfall a little bit that he is so, so against alliances or deals or anything that he's the one not thinking to the level of being willing to leave a room when four people are trying to decide who, who's going to go in elimination. One of the biggest what if moments in challenge history, because then, Landon could be the greatest of all time, if not for that one single moment where he had to leave the room to get a hat. Just what, what do you think? Would have, not to change gears too much, but very quickly, if we were to say right now on, on that, Brad and Evan would have went into the Mark. Mark wouldn't have Mark wouldn't have let Landon go in for sure. So you think it would have been Evan the three of them in? would have said, "Brad, you're going in," and I think Brad would have called out Evan over Landon because of the the duels they were going with that that year one of them the one they ended up doing consequentially so it would have potentially backfired size mattered in a really big way two of them i guess because the push off one but the other couple being a big dude really hurt you 
the one the puzzle like the wall puzzle that they had to yeah. do and especially the where they had to sit on elevator. the little thing and pull the elevator that yeah. one as we later saw for uh Evan in the final was you know where he almost blew they we ended up seeing that <laughs> Brad or Brad versus Evan in that essentially at the very end of the final I think he would have called out Evan just from a ties and a, like 50 50 shot of whether I want a big guy or not so and I think Mark defend Mark and Landon would have defended themselves if the four of them actually had to like really really chop it up over like who should go in. So yeah, and actually I get into that on the dual two podcast, which we're recording this on a Sunday. That podcast hopefully is coming out tomorrow before this one will eventually run a little ways down the road. I still have to finish that season and finish that podcast, but that's for later today. For now, Wes brings in Landon. He, he knows that, you know, Landon is the only one in the house who kind of after winning the second daily challenge, has a shot to actually win some of these dailies. Wes already sees, you know, I kind of don't. I hope Evelyn does. His whole alliance rides on like, can Evelyn and Luke win a, win a daily challenge? And they never do. But he brings in Landon, which is a huge deal. He goes, he plays golf with them. And then he also has the very memorable conversation immediately afterwards where they let Kenny know, like, hey, just so you know, Landon's going to say your name. I... I think he West uses multiple times this season. Like I contracted or I brought, I went, I played, I think he says I played golf with them for an hour and I brought him in. And it's like very like West works for the CIA or something like this season. Like it's all like the lingo is there. And the fact that he gets Landon of all people to, to agree to a deal and to pick his side, because I do think, between the two of them, Landon doesn't really have a history with either Wes or Kenny or Evelyn for that matter. No strong ones, at least. And so that was the biggest early domino was to get Landon on one side or the other. And Wes is able to do it. And I I wonder, have, have you spoken to Landon before? You've yeah. had him on, right? Yeah. yeah. Did you ask him at all about this or what? what his what his reasoning for finally being willing to join one or maybe if he said anything about like picking Wes over Kenny in that moment he said it was just a matter of who came to him first pretty much yeah. like he didn't really prefer necessarily one over the other he was just Wes got to him before Kenny did yeah and you even see I, kind of with the dialogue when Kenny asks Landon straight up like you really think he'll keep you around here that long and then he's like no but longer than you yeah <laughs> so i mean <laughs> it's the sad part about landon never wanting to play the political game is that he he's a very astute person and i feel like he like could read people as well as most of the people in this house and stuff and that i feel like he would have just been really good at it because he can also kind of keep his emotions in check and like be calm and reserved and he ends up having some real political brilliance through this game on his own. So it's kind of a bummer that, of course, it's just a bummer we never got more Landon after this, but it's a bummer that he never really tried to use that tool in the tool belt that it seemed like he did have if he was willing to wield it. So the other one that Wes gets to that a lot of credit for and is a, is a really good kind of moment in time to look back and kind of was a shifting in how the challenge was played before every season. It took a while for this to start happening, but I think this is certainly the first ever case where there is a preseason. It's not the first ever case that there's a preseason alliance, but of this sort between Wes and Jen, I, I feel bad that I even almost references the first ever when we got 
my guy, Theo Vaughn and Dan Setzler and Mark and Eric back on Battle of the Sexes too is the first kind of known pre pre-show alliance that was discussed. But on this one, Wes and Jen, way before the show, come into this show with a contract, as Wes says, for Jen to go and join the opposite alliance. However the house ends up being, I don't think they know going in who's all there. They don't know for sure it's going to be Kenny. It works out even better that it is because Jen has enough of a history with him to be able to like say, like, of course, I would pick you too. But for Jen to go into the house, pick the other alliance, join it, vote against Wes twice in a row, and then at some just act as a mole the whole time where he the whole time he'll know she'll know they won't tell anyone else including their partners and that at some point she will flip back to them what what was your because this is also part of a pretty iconic moment that we'll talk about when we hand out that award of jen and mandy's fight and jen's big monologue of you're fresh meat you if you don't know what's going on i'm doing my job baby i'm doing my job or whatever and it's all because of this hidden alliance and her voting against Wes and Mandy, even though that's what she's supposed to do. What what did you think of when you see that they've won to this level? They've gone to like preseason negotiations and contracts to put together alliances in the house and how sneaky it was. It was really well thought out. It was it, it didn't ultimately play out to actually benefit Wes ever down the line, but in the moment when it's a pretty shocking moment when they reveal, you know, midway through, this is what's really going on. It's one of those moments that kind of like goes under the radar, I think, a little bit, but like kind of like an underestimated like political move in the sense of like how calculated it was. That just like to me shows like how far ahead that like West thinks in these games. And I think like during that time period in which the show was, stuff like that didn't really like exist. You know what I mean? Like you'd probably more so see maybe today something like that happen. But, like, preseason alliance, especially, like, the plan that they had in particular, that was, like, one of the more underrated moves, I would say, because it doesn't really get talked about a lot. Like, it's kind of right, like, guns swept under the rug a little bit. Yeah, and that's definitely because it, you know, ultimately it never comes back to actually help Wes at any point. It does give us this iconic fight between Jen and Mandy and then the reveal after the fact, but Wes never actually gets to then use his mole to his advantage. But it's just a clear example of it's what separated Wes then for sure in the game and was a big part of why, you know, he won two seasons like earlier on in his challenge career. And it still separates him a, a bit today, but in a different kind of in a different point of the scale, but he just takes it way more serious than everyone else. He is the one that's like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to like do this. I'm going to like think through every nuance of this. I'm going to give my everything to this. And I am going to just take it more serious than everyone else from working out, getting ready for it, from planning, from trying to think of strategy, trying to make the right friendships, whatever. He just took it way more serious than everyone, which is a huge benefit. And if you're, you know, you're playing a game and you're just at a different level of how much you care and how serious you're taking it and what level you're playing it at, obviously you're going to do better. And I still think that's true today. It's just that there's a lot, a, a lot more others that also take it very seriously. But even so, I feel like Wes is, you know, even modern day Wes, the reason he just won All Stars three is because he still takes it way more serious than everyone else his training everyone trains for the show now but his training is off the charts he's you know 
in incredible shape these days. He's still thinking through things. He's still making, he's talking to every single cast member that he finds out is on the season. He's talking to everyone before he goes on there. He's making deals. He's letting things be known. He just takes it more seriously. And that, that makes, you know, for a great, a great player. And that definitely, I think, you know, between CT gets a lot of credit for just being like the guy on the show that everyone became scared of physically. And that elevated, you know, the physical nature of the show and that bananas gets a lot of credit for like, you know, he made it a little more vindictive or the alliances and the backstabbing, but also the like physicality and the athleticism, you know, that like him and some other folks kind of brought the game, you know, evolved the game to where it was. But I think West doesn't get enough credit for like, He's the first one who was like, you guys know we could focus on winning this. Like we could try really hard to win this, right? And like kind of started to change the game and make it more serious, make it more cutthroat and political. Cause you know, there's been alliances for many seasons coming into this, but there hadn't been this level of like this kind of attempt at manipulation or attempt at numbers and everything else. And for many seasons after this, like Wes is still one of the main ones who's like, actually trying to game out the whole chessboard, not just like, I need like two people that will vote with me or whatever. Like, you know, he's trying to go all out all the time. Yeah, I think it's because like the wins maybe aren't, you know, I think everybody kind of measures wins instead of like gameplay and moves, so to speak. Like you could have like great game plans or game plays, but if you don't win, people seem to kind of just like put it out of their brain. But like, I look at it from like all different perspectives. like if someone has like more wins than him for for let's just say but like their wins weren't necessarily like as impressive then i'll be like all right well the guy with the better gameplay i still kind of hold more weight to you know what i mean for sure and you know this is a perfect example of where possibly playing the game that hard and having that level of strategy and everything can backfire too it may not always work it may not lead to as many wins as you would think the guy who is in as good a shape as anyone takes it more serious than anyone would have a few more wins than even he does and that's because after two or three episodes or you know rounds of daily and elimination as much as they're running the game as much as they have the numbers on their side kenny and laurel keep winning which means it's still one of ours versus one of theirs one of Kenny's side continues to win every single time, and he slowly but surely completely and utterly dismantles Wes's alliance. I'm going to quickly run through the episode by episode because this is just truly crazy how this happens. So episode one, they work together. They take a shot at Darrell. It works. Darrell's out of the game. Great. They work together for one episode. Episode two is when Wes brings in Landon. They send Kenny into exile. The only time Kenny and Laurel end up in exile, he has to go against his number one ally, Sarah, they take Sarah out. Kenny's still in the game. Kenny wins the daily in the third episode, but Wes has all the votes. Ev ends up going in versus Paula. Ev beats Paula in exile. And at this point, after three episodes, you're like, all right, yeah, Laurel and Kenny are going to win all these dailies. But like, Wes has literally like two times the amount of votes in the house as Kenny in Laurel's side. And we're about to find out technically also has Jen and maybe even Ryan, who are half of the votes that Kenny thinks he has. We get to the fourth episode. Wes gets Ryan to trick Kenny into saying CJ and Sydney because he thinks that Ryan is going to go in, which was Wes's Ryan's plan the whole time. Wes was going to throw in Pete and Jill, but Caitlin gets hurt that episode. So they make maybe their first mistake of the season, Wes and Ev, by saying out of fairness, we're going to put 
Brandon and Caitlin in. We'll talk about that DQ later on, but they don't go with Pete and Jill. So then we get to episode five. The numbers have shifted for the first time as you know Wes and Ev lose someone. Kenny and Laurel win again. The Wes Ryan trick works again. And Wes is okay with Danny and Sandy getting called out just so that he himself isn't chosen. They throw in Pete and Jill. Pete and Jill smoke Danny and Sandy. And now Wes has lost for the second time in a row, lost someone on his team. And that's when the big, big mistake happens. Episode six, Kenny and Laurel let Pete and Jill win the daily challenge. They get to a final round, those two teams versus each other. Pete and Jill are like, hey, we've gone in a bunch. Like, would you guys mind taking this one for us? Kenny and Laurel say yes, because we also think that they're too scared of us to put us in exile, which is true. And Wes and Ev, to save their own ass, make a deal with Kenny to put Landon versus CJ, which in reality completely and utterly backfires because it gives Kenny the entire house against the two of Wes and Ev. Because when Landon comes back, Wes and Ev have lost CJ and they have also effectively lost Landon. And that is the moment where Kenny, it, I can't believe I'm saying these words out loud or that I typed these words on notes. Like it was checkmate. It was over. It was absolutely brilliant from him to in that moment realize you're trying to make this deal with me. You, you realize it's only going to save you from one exile, right? Like it completely dismantles their team. And in that moment, this is definitely their biggest mistake, but what doesn't it just make sense? Why, why did Wes not just say that he would go against Ryan and Teresa and try, try to win and save numbers that part. I know they had been working together a little bit, you know, the last few episodes before that Ryan had helped Wes out, but it feels like, you know, they, they try to save themselves both. And in the end, that just means you two are going in next. You've, you've actually just flipped the entire house around from four to two on one side to four to two the other way. And it feels like Wes should have been like, just throw me in. We're going to throw in Ryan and Teresa and I'll take my chances winning in exile and keeping the numbers on my side. I think he just scrambled. I think like he got caught up in his own like <laughs> ego at the time that I think like he just like couldn't like face the fact that like he was actually going to have to go in. Yeah. And Plus, the, like him and Teresa had like a thing going on that season. So maybe that played a part in it. I wonder how much that did play a part in it because he was kind of, I think that's the same episode or maybe it's the one right after that where Evelyn finally like calls Wes Kelly. out on like right in front of Teresa of like, so my best friend, Kellyanne, who you're still kind of dating, right? Kind of maybe still dating her, right? How's she going to feel that's, about this? That's a funny thing too, because he came in on the first episode saying like they weren't dating anymore. But when I interviewed Kellyanne, she said that like they technically were agreed to yeah. like not see other people like during the show. And, and that's like, what Ev says, I think, to him on screen of like, you guys hooked up the weekend before you came and you said you wouldn't like get with anyone. I know you're not dating, but like you've said, you're still essentially exclusive. So that that makes it more even more fascinating that Ev and Wes worked together the whole season. But yeah, I think Wes is just kind of hubris of I could throw in Landon and CJ because Jen and Ryan are kind of technically working for me and they're not going to like get upset by this. And it's like, yeah, they are <laughs> like, you just threw, you just threw half of your alliance in to save your own ass. That obviously makes everyone else be like, well, we're not, we're not trusting them. It's Wes and Ev and no one else, no one else actually matters to them. And then by the time the seventh episode kicks off, Kenny, the whole time who has just told anyone who would listen to him, like, if you are with me, 
you're I'm I will never like throw you under the bus will never do anything and to his credit for this particular season that is 100% true he's loyal the whole way through that's the best decision that Jill and Pete ever make is choosing that side over West's side even if it would have saved them from a couple exiles to start the season panned out really well for them at the end Landon wins a daily they throw Wes and Evelyn in versus each other Evelyn takes out Wes the next time Evelyn gets thrown right back in versus Landon gets beat she's gone and we get ultimately to the final four of this season Landon and Carly end up in it because the last daily is you know purge style-esque where the bottom two go to elimination but if not for that Landon and Carly are in another elimination at the end. And if they were to lose the final four of this season for the final five and what could have been the final four are the four teams from Kenny's Alliance the entire time. Like after all of it, it's Laurel and Kenny, Jill and Pete, Ryan and Teresa, Jen and Noor. And that's basically Kenny's Alliance for the majority of the season. And it's just really an incredible turnaround. And I, I forgot to give the disclaimer at the start of all of this that I have to do on certain seasons of anyone who has been banned from the show or canceled in challenge fandom. We, we talk about these seasons as if we were talking about them right after them without any of the other facts. Obviously this season takes place after the ruins, but we don't know anything about what would come of that season until many seasons later in the timeline. And so it's up for being talked about and discussed on the merits of their season, the season we're talking about them. So you know, there's no way of getting around Kenny being the incredible focus of the season. And the fact that he played an incredible season, he, he was, had a couple brilliant moves. He dominated the whole season along with Laurel. And that's a lot more Laurel than Kenny, but for the first time, Kenny's usually the one getting kind of helped by his partners or teammates the most for the first time, which would become two times in a row when we add in rivals to it, he's carrying his weight. Laurel's also just, you know, incredibly dominant. But he's also like loyal and nice to everyone in the house, which is an interesting turn of, you know, change of pace. And is one of the big casting related things that, you know, I think you had referenced earlier, not bringing in the Evans or the Johnnies or all his buddies. It not only makes the game more interesting, but it also helps some of the shit that had went down on a ruins or the island where it's like these guys that you know, maybe when they get all together, they're, you know, pretty mean to a lot of other people around them. When you separate them out, it turns out for this, this, again, this single season, Kenny's a nice guy. Everyone likes him. Everyone has fun with him there. He's like, you know, he's still kind of busting people's chops a little bit, but like in an actual fun way that like people are doing it back. There's a hilarious scene where like credit, I think it's on one of the credit scenes, which they should bring back the end credit scenes because they're always hilarious where Kenny wakes Noor up by throwing roll of toilet paper at his face. And then Noor the next day comes back and gets a wet roll of toilet paper and throws it at Kenny's face while he's sleeping on the couch. And like, it's actually like everyone's like, no, we're in on it. We're all doing it together, whatever. So it's an incredible season from him. And it's an incredible just meltdown from Wes and Evelyn to allow Kenny of all people to somewhat outsmart them. And I I think while it is swept under the rug a little, the the decision that they make, the singular decision of let's save our own ass for this one, let's team back up with this guy but ultimately ruins their season. I don't know that there's ever been, you know, we mentioned, you know, the early political brilliance has maybe never been matched from Wes, but also the 
incredibly quick fall i feel like has never been matched of like you guys had this game when somehow like somehow some way yes it was partly because they kept winning dailies but also like how did you blow this how did it end up being just four people from kenny's alliance basically in the finals is is incredible I, I have no idea how it happened i don't feel like i can remember any other time where someone went from so on top to so on the bottom so fast no it's probably one of the if not the biggest like kind of collapse in a in a challenge season i think can, can you name a, another time because i kind of can't like right war off the, the world's of war of the world's two comes to mind but that one is is also even more you know this one has a is a lot to do with laurel and kenny winning and winning and winning war of the world's two is because jordan and tori you know get the, the turncoat and get to go on the other team but like that one was one where it's like Polly and Kara are in charge of this game and Cam are in charge of it. They're winning every single challenge over and over. They're literally manipulating the other team into like, this is who you should throw in. This is who you should get rid of. Joss, yeah, you're working with us, buddy. Like, let we're going to dismantle your team and you're going to be okay with it. And then just right at the end, it flips because Jordan and Tori win and flip to the other side and then win the, you know, the one fatal air. They let them have CT for a final when they could have had CT from the start. So that one comes to mind. West West again on Axis too, probably. But I mean that's kind of That's tainted. another twist related one. Yeah. It's like that's that's the other this season is production's casting decisions playing out as perfectly as they could have ever hoped. Axis two is where a twist has never played out better than them being like, This is when we introduced the redemption house and it worked out so perfectly that it ends up being bananas and nani coming back in and then taking out Wes and Teresa. And so yeah, that one he had that game by the throat too. And that's just a complete, like, that's not on you, man. Like that's bullshit that the, the guy you worked so hard to get out comes back in. And now suddenly just out of nowhere, you're like, wait, I was in the final. I was probably winning the final. And now suddenly just this, the never before seen twist is just gonna, I'm out. Like I have to go into elimination versus Leroy. What the fuck? Like how- They would have won know? that season. Him and Teresa. Yeah. So that's not really on. I don't like put that one as like a much of a collapse as it's just like a completely cruel twist of fate of like, you know, the twists, the twists are the twists. They're there for a reason. And that one panned out great for viewership and entertainment, horrible for Wes. So that's kind of the main thing of the season is these two versus each other. Wes and Ev got it at the start. They fall apart at the end. Laurel and Kenny the whole time are you know, making smart moves and also just winning every single thing, which brings us to the actual competition itself. A few things to run through from the competition. We start with Laurel and Kenny. They kick everyone's ass. They win five of the nine dailies. They really win six of the nine because they let Pete and Jill win the final round of the one, as we said before, even though it there's no, I mean, I'm sorry, it's Laurel versus Jill. We see how that ends up later on when they have to wrestle each other through the mud. Another hilarious, sad, but hilarious moment where Jill has to crawl by Laurel and just beg her like, can I please just, can, can we not do this? So they really win six out of nine. This is the second fresh meat season in a row that this happens. That one team absolutely dominates, but then does not win. The previous time with Coral and Evan is because of injury. I think they maybe not easily win the final. The final maybe would have been a slightly different, but easily the best team there how do these two compare for you uh which one do you feel like was more dominant coral and evelyn or laurel and kenny and is there any other male female duos you can think of that you would put up on like a similar level of just 
really, really impossible to beat. I actually think Kenny and Laurels was more impressive, just simply due to the outside, like, factors going into it. You had in the fact of basically their backs were against the wall every single time out. You know, it was kind of like you have to win for Kenny. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think when you factor that in, it makes it a lot more like amplified, but also I think just the competitions had gotten a lot tougher as a whole up to that point than they were during the original fresh meet. So that's probably why I'm leaning more towards the Kenny and Laurel being more impressive than Evan and Coral. As far as like duos go, that's a good question. Cause we got X's two, like I put Jordan and Sarah pretty high up there at yeah. that time, but that's a little more finals based which is the tricky thing with both laurel and kenny here was would have been the interesting part of coral and evelyn on fresh meat is like there's such a wide difference and got wider and wider by the challenge of the daily challenges and eliminations versus the final and like kenny and laurel you know obviously don't win this season they do pretty well in the final but the bigger stronger people struggle a little more to go up a mountain at high altitude and whatnot and so like a jordan and sarah if i was you know wanting to pick what's the best male female pair to run a final i'm picking them over laurel and kenny for sure but as far yeah. as like just putting them on a season i would i would definitely i think laurel and kenny is about as good as it's ever got from a like they're gonna just win all the daily chat like you're not they're going to make the final basically they're guaranteed to make the final because they're going to win and have power so much or who's going to beat them in any what elimination are you going to beat these two people in whereas i feel like uh sarah and jordan there's at least like you know they almost lost an elimination or two on that season they, i could see them winning or losing one they're not going to just win every daily challenge but from a final perspective there's there's probably been better teams than this mm -hmm. yeah i would probably then lean towards uh, kenny and laurel then yeah i mean it's mostly just laurel too again we it's, it's i want to make sure we're is as clear as possible as as much as you know the whole season is west versus kenny and so we use his name here but it, it laurel is the big the big part of this in the x the, factor yeah the the real yeah like we'll, we'll just get it leads us right to the next the next thing actually is Darrell and car maria are a pair on this which is crazy to look back and think that Darrell and car maria were partners and were the first out on the season they were partners because even if this is like two or three seasons later, like a year or two later, this team is just so good, so dominant, but it's Carmaria's first time. She hasn't gotten the fitness bug quite yet. She's still like f plenty fit and just like regular person, you know, athletic or whatever on this season, but doesn't quite have it yet. And they end up out first and two, two part question here. How shocking is this? Does it get more shocking by the year to like look back and be like, holy cow, like how did that happen? And Darrell does pick Cara Maria first. And as, as a big NFL guy, and I'm sure very invested in, you know, the draft process, and we mentioned the draft and combine earlier, I know it's easy to say in retrospect because we know what Laurel is capable of and everything. And I don't know if standing there in that grass, if it would be that obvious, but it feels like it would have been obvious to be like, well, that chick is twice as big as everyone else. And she seems to be pretty fit, not just like she's way taller or whatever. Like she seems pretty fit. She's twice as big as everyone. Did Darrell make a massive mistake, regardless of the combine results in picking Cara Maria over Laurel? Hindsight's twenty twenty, but I think like just from the combine numbers, 
Car Maria actually put up like pretty good combine numbers. I think she had the most, well, she had the most pull-ups for the girls. I know that. Like she had pretty good statistics. And I think like from Darrell's standpoint and why he was picking her, he probably was basing it off of, you know, his first fresh meet. He probably wants a partner who's maybe smaller in stature and can maybe like who in his mind might be able to run with their own weight for longer you know maybe he thought you know laurel might be good in more areas geared towards like eliminations or daily challenges but once the final comes who knows like how you know she's going to hold up potentially so yeah i mean if you could go back in time you know if we were doing like a redraft right now like you and i i would probably put laurel off the board first for Darrell. but yeah yeah and it's i mean it's a big what if moment because Darrell obviously coming into this season, he's four out of five winning the only one he has since the season before this, where he punches Brad, knocks him out, could have easily been five for five. And the knock on Darrell, you know, legacy wise or best player of all time wise is like, yeah, you won four out of four on, you know, those team seasons and stuff. And then you did come back and do enough individual and partner seasons where, you know, we, you've moved yourself down the list a little bit. You won the one partner with, with Aviv, but if he picks Laurel here, I mean, they win. There's no chance. And whoever picks Laurel is getting to the final. They, you know, it's obviously clearly yeah. not a guaranteed win because they don't win the final, but you're getting to the final. If you pick Laurel, no one's beating you in this style exile. Maybe I guess, cause Laurel only ever had to go into the wait for me exile, which really benefits someone like herself with the strength and everything if it was the other one and it was a little more just like running with weight versus like can you physically carry this weight maybe she could lose exile but probably not so Darrell easily could have been you know two-time fresh meat champion who, who, who would you say Kenny would have picked he would have had the third overall pick I believe right because it went Kara and then Jen took Noor and then I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, I got the list pick. here so Darrell went first he picked Kara Jen went second and then Kenny went and took Laurel I don't know if, if Kenny picks Cara Maria. I think he might um, pick Teresa. I think he picks Teresa both because I think if Kenny wouldn't have had a clear, like she looks like she's going to dominate, I think he would have went for who do I think is hot, which, you know, no shade. Paula immediately after him goes for at literally asked Jeff, do you have a girlfriend before <laughs> picking him? But on those combine numbers you mentioned, they do say during it, I think it's even Laurel maybe that says in like the little montage that Cara Maria is the best female coming out of the combine. She does six pull-ups to Laurel's two, but they run the same 40 time and Laurel does the obstacle course and half the time Cara does. But I know there's also more than the four things that we have data for. So either way, yeah, it's a... It was a, you know, it was a, a smart pick. I like what you said about, you know, Darrell trying to think of like, who's the most Aviv-like person up there for me that kind of matches what I had before. That makes total sense. The next thing then competitively is, is Wes. Obviously he's coming into the season. He's won the duel before an individual season. He's done very well on all the seasons, you know, on the route, on the original fresh meet, he goes five and zero in exiles. He wins multiple eliminations the season prior to this on the ruins. He's established himself is a very, very good competitor in this game, but he totally loses it on. This is the first season where it's like, there's a couple season run where it's like, Wes doesn't have it anymore. And in this season, it's two things at once. One, him and Mandy can't come close to winning a daily challenge, which, you know, all season long, he, you know, does what he'd done on fresh meat one. He kind of blames, you know, I'm never going to win because of my partner, which no one else really does that on this season. Everyone's kind of like, 
other than Laurel and Kenny, every partnership is kind of like there's one good player and one not as good a player. And like, you know, the Landon and Carly's can pull one out. Jen and Noor can pull one out. Kim and Mandy never can. But then we get definitive proof, you know, I don't, I don't know what your spirituality is, Mike, but I don't know what anyone's listening might be, what your faith, anything might that might be. But one thing that we can know for sure, because we have actual evidence in this season, is that whatever you believe in, whatever higher powers, we can all know that karma is real. And if you don't think karma is real, then you haven't watched this season because Wes ends up in an exile and in a complete 180 from Fresh Meat One, Wes ends up hands on his knees getting yelled at by his partner who he's dogged all season long and thought was the reason weighing him down. Mandy is out there literally saying, I haven't even broken a sweat yet, Wes. What the hell? And they lose they lose their exile to Luke and Ev purely because Wes is the slowest of those four people by a by a lot. And does does this definitively prove that karma is real and how how deserved did this feel to see in this moment, even even the most staunch West fans, which I was at the time and still still am of like, yeah, this feels right. This feels like this, this kind of needed to happen. It was a cinematic masterpiece. I'll say that. That was one thing this season had was a lot of like, you know, either foreshadows or just, you know, moments that kind of were poetic, I'd say especially the ending. And yeah, this probably proves that at least in some regard, there is some type of power somewhere. <laughs> All of us that always like to reference the challenge gods, which we're you know, always just saying producers. And I know I've got a few specific people listening right now who have let me know in the past, they hate hearing it. It's like, you know, scratching, scratching the chalkboard when they hear the phrase challenge gods. But in this instance, this was one of few instances where uh, actual challenge gods, not producers, just, you know, the the whoever is up there looking over the challenge had had in mind that we have to have the payoff we have to have the poetic justice and to mandy's credit mandy does there is the really fun moment during the draft where wes asks i believe it's sydney that sydney. he asks like hey how are you on running and she just straight up says it's not my favorite thing but like i'll do it and mandy gives the little point to herself and wes is immediately like all right, I'll take her and TJ then references it. TJ has a great season. He, this time, his commentary when they're leaving the exiles is very spot on with a lot of these groups. But that one is great where he's like, Mandy, you said you could run. You backed it up. I don't know what happened to your partner. And it's just like, yes, I don't know what happened to Wes either. You know, two seasons later, we would get the Wes getting carried up a mountain by Wes's partner as the challenge documentary, which is legally, I don't think, allowed to say Kenny's name, has to say Wes's partner carries him up the, the mountain. But this is the beginning of a kind of few season run. Obviously, Rivals 2 then would it would erase all of it. But for a season or two, it's like everything Wes was get putting out there comes back to him, which seems a little unfair that he's the only one this happens to because the other part of this is like, it's a really nice moment after these two or three seasons in a row where the gender politics of the house have been really nasty and gross that we're like, finally, one of the guys who has, you know, given his female partner shit in the past is like having the role reversed. But it's like, if that was going to pay off on anyone, Wes is, he's on the list of people that deserve some of that to happen to, but he's a lot further down it than some other people, you know, even on this season with him that could have had a moment yeah. where like, you deserve to look like an ass like once and for all here. So that 
that's West though, but thankfully, you know, it wouldn't stop him from continuing his great, great challenge career. The biggest what if of the season, or I mean, there's a couple of them, but one of them for me is Paula. And, you know, the season dominated so much by Wes, Evelyn, Kenny, Laurel, that we don't, we're not going to talk as much extensively about a lot of the other people. But one I want to take a moment to shout out is Paula because Paula on this season, it, it goes kind of under the radar. You know, she kind of has this reputation as like the one who could never win. And then she finally wins two of them. But everyone, you know, likes to say, well, she won when she got Evelyn and Emily Schramm as partners. Like, of course. And I don't think she's appreciated as enough for like, Paula was amazing at this show. Like, she was really good, like a really good competitor. And it just didn't work out for one reason or the other until those moments. But this is one of those seasons where... I think she's, if the women all just had to run this final, just the women run it solo as an individual final, I think Paula would have won. Paula does better than Evelyn in the exile, but she's let down by her partner, Jeff. We will talk about possibly the quote of the season in a moment that she has during that exile with Jeff of like just tearing him a new one. But Paula has it this season. She's an incredible competitor this season. She performs equal to Evelyn in all of the dailies and in the exile, if not better. Do you think, because you mentioned earlier, Jeff's, you know, combine numbers were really, really great, really strong. And in fact, I'm kind of shocked by them. If I pull them back up here, Jeff in the combine, he had 19 pull-ups, which is only second to Nor. And then he had the highest vertical jump. He was in the middle of the pack on the 40 yard dash and then kind of in the middle of the pack on the opposite course. So it was really just the pull-ups, which I guess if you were training, she says he was trained for the Navy SEALs or something at some point, maybe that explains why he's got some pull-ups in him. But if Paula picks Pete, does Paula win this season? That's a good question. I think the draft order, the draft order was, it was like all guys first and then all. Nor, nor would still be the, I still think Nor would be the first guy off my board. Yeah. And well, that was the right pick. Yeah, in a redraft, I would say Pete would go to uh, Paula. And we could be having an entirely different discussion right now. Yeah, and I just, again, hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, she looks at the numbers. She sees, you know, historically, she's also worked with, you know, the Kennys of the world, like the bigger, taller guys. And Jeff yeah. is, you know, a lot taller than all the others. But it's another one of those where I can't put myself in the moment without, you know, all this hindsight of all these years later. But, like, Pete's a 20-run-year-old college guy that is like clearly athletic and you know kind of like you look at him and you're like yeah you're like a sporty bro like it you know it's like fine fine to just kind of stereotype and i would have been if i was paul a stereotype be like yeah i want that guy he's young he'll he won't he'll listen to whatever i say probably and he looks to be like the youngest athlete of all these guys and even if it's not pete brandon even i might have in the moment been like over jeff and even that maybe works out way differently but it just bums me losing, out that uh, losing paula that early in the season hurt kind of yeah and it you know it helps it helps pay off all you know the the roller coaster we talked about before of you know kenny losing a couple people in a row sarah paula and then it all coming back and maybe that changes and isn't as dramatic or interesting if paula's there the whole time but as a big big paula fan as a key west and austin are kind of my two real world seasons that were like the right age for me to like those were my people. I, no matter what, was always pulling for all of them. It just tears me up that uh, Paula doesn't always get the respect she deserves as one of like the best to ever play this game. And no one else really puts her in that kind of top tier category. And I do. And this was one of the seasons where with one different draft pick, I think she could have, she could have 
she could have at least been there in the final, if not like her and Pete in the final, probably lose to Landon and Carly still, but I don't know. I think they think they would have had a chance because we haven't mentioned a lot of the other people, a couple just real quick rapid fire through a few of the other members, Brian and Jen, uh, as you said earlier, you know, play the middle really, really well. And all the seasons they're on, they're kind of always, they're just great glue guys, basically, in cha- a challenge house. They're kind of friends with everyone. They take the game serious, but they would prefer to, like, have good friendships first and then, like, compete in the game second. But I think for both of those two, Ryan and Jen both, this this is definitely their best season competitively. Not just from, like, the political decisions they make, but, like, Ryan performs really well. Jen performs really well. I don't feel like I've there's any other seasons where I would say they any either of them did better in any facet of the game. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that regard. I think, like, you can make an argument that Jen kind of impressed me in the final of Cutthroat the following season. Mm-hmm. But as a whole basis, I would say this is probably Jen's best season from, like, you could kind of argue, like, the entire standpoint. I mean, she played a pretty good social game on Rivals seeing as how, like, her and Mandy never had to see an elimination despite not being, like, you know, a top three team on that season. Uh, But, yeah, from a whole general basis, same thing with Ryan. He was kind of just, like, a background, like, character on, like, his other seasons that, like, he was on, such as, like, the Duel and such. Duel 2, rather, and the Gauntlet 3. I think, like, yeah, this would probably rank as, like, their best seasons. Like, if you were to ask, like, oh, what's, like, the Ryan season? You'll think of when you think of him, and it would probably be fresh meat, too. What's the Gen season? Probably be this. So it, yeah. it allowed a lot of secondary people to shine, and I think that's why I like the cast decision so much on this season. Yeah, because it is – while it's that one storyline, that one you know alliance versus each other, that storyline is made interesting not just because of what Wes and Kenny and Evelyn are doing each episode, but because it's for two episodes in a row. It's like, all right, Ryan has decided to make – this decision and he's the one pulling the strings and tricking and going along and like is at center of this storyline and rivalry and then jen for an episode and a half is like at the center of that story and it just works out so well that you know it's one story the whole time but the people come in and out of like who are the factors within the story and everyone kind of has a part in it the another person to mention and definitely the biggest the biggest disappointment of the entire season, the the kind of biggest bonehead moment of the whole season, CJ and Sydney. CJ, who I adore, I love, is one of the people that I was like, you're like, you were built for the challenge right at the time. You could have been on more seasons of the challenge, and it's a shame you weren't. He obviously has the you know incredible hall brawl moment for Zach a couple seasons from now and battle the seasons. But CJ and Sydney, for all the potential they have this season, it takes them 90 minutes to do a seven-piece Tangram puzzle. 90 minutes to do a seven-piece puzzle. <laughs> it's like how, what, le- zero to 10. This is a like, easy 10 out of 10 on the embarrassing scale, right? Like there's, this is just such, well, such a to, blown to, opportunity. To, to their defense, I when I interviewed CJ, he said that they threw that elimination. I, re- I actually remember listening to this now. Yeah, but... Can't you throw it without making yourself look like that? 
like that dumb? Like, can't you just make sure you never pass someone? Because they rightfully get roasted for T by TJ at the end of that. And did he say why? Was it just like he wanted they wanted to leave for any reason, or like I think he wanted it's just simply for the fact that like he realized like after being thrown in like that his days were kind of numbered, in, like when it came to like the game because Wes had like turned on him and such. And he like liked Landon, so he decided like they deserve to come back. So he was like, you know what, we'll just throw this thing to you, and you have a better shot in this game than I do. Well, that makes it a lot. It makes it better because yeah, it just it truly. If you're trying, there's just no way that that puzzle. <laughs> it, no matter what, the worst case scenario for that puzzle should be like eight minutes. <laughs> like you know, like yeah. it just there's only so many combinations. It's only seven pieces. Some of them are big. They only fit one spot. Like, but uh, yeah, I I feel like they could have maybe maybe put up a slightly better effort in their their fake defeat, but it makes me feel better that that was not their best effort. Then we've got two other people to quick shout outs on the fresh meat side. Luke. Luke's actually pretty solid, right? Because he kind of gets, it's not really even a bad edit. It's just a bad portrayal by his partner, Evelyn, at times. But Luke was actually pretty solid. I feel like it was kind of a surprise we never saw him again. He's got a three and one. Or no, we, we do see him throw, one more time. He's throw. on cutthroat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got a three yeah. and one elimination record with a second place and a final appearance. So the statistics would suggest that he's a solid. He's got a 75% win percentage when it comes to eliminations. So, because he does, is he the one that him and Easy do the yeah, fly, they do the swatter? fly swatter? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the challenge inventing knob top right before our eyes, way, way back on Cutthroat. And then yeah, he performed in the final of Cutthroat too. Like this guy was solid. Like his combine numbers, were, like were pretty d decent too. I believe, if I remember, mm -hmm. it just I think like for his particular skill set, the exiles that like they did maybe didn't benefit him because he's a bit of a smaller guy in stature. So I guess carrying weight is not necessarily something that gears towards his strengths. But I think if you would have put him in like a traditional final where you just have to like run with no weight. I think you might see him surprise some people for sure and it's yeah he does he does really great in the the two exiles this season one you carry the backpack one you carry the like weight rack with the buckets and whatnot and he struggles much more in the weight rack one again because the size matters like we said about laurel earlier it's like the bigger stronger you are this one that's tailored to unlike most endurance things the other one was much more traditional endurance yes you have to carry weight but in a less awkward fashion and whatnot and yeah i think it's mostly just his attitude all season you know is what rubs ev the wrong way because luke i guess is just too nice of a guy too happy and joyful yeah. of a person for that that period of evelyn's life to be to be around he does make the only time he deserves evelyn's kind of ire is when he announces loudly on the bus the one afternoon or after the daily like i was cramping up really bad if we had to go into an exile right now like i don't think that'd be a good thing for us and like she has every reason to be like luke maybe you don't just say that out loud while we're all sitting on the bus together maybe you save that for when we get back to the house and like one-on-one -on -one conversation <laughs> the final one to touch on then before we get to our champions of the season is nor who is an absolute beast and have you spoken to him by chance i know he's yeah, done a, a podcast or two ago. what yeah. was there did he not want to come back or was he not called back he wasn't even called again just makes I, no sense 
You would have thought at least like for cutthroat because it seemed like they were kind of like picking those fresh meat two people to kind of do another season. You would have think like he would have at least gotten another availability call at the minimum. I just think that they were bored with him. Yeah, and it's I get that he of all the fresh meat because of being partnered with Jen who was pushing this more than anyone else was like, yeah, the alumni like I'm just here to like compete alongside of my alumni. She does everything. She does all the talking. Like I'm just hanging out and that, you know, kind of ruins his chances at being in storylines, but he he'll be popping up in our best quote award later on. Like he gives good confessionals. He's an awesome competitor. And like, he, it feels like he does have the personality and everything. He just kind of chose not to show it as much this season or like be in the background. And I, you know, that ultimately definitely kind of, kind of hurt him as the great, Dan Setzler has recently said on my podcast and others and things before, if you're not fucking or fighting, you're not getting calls back and you know, yeah. nor wasn't doing either of those, but he was a beast and he was really, I thought he was just really fun and there was a lot of personality there. And it's really bumps me out that he never got a call back, especially how, how well he ended up doing, even against the odds of, you know, his asthma flaring up at the end when it's getting super cold out and everything and still kicking butt for the most part in the last daily and exile and, elimination but that brings us to the two stars of the eventual stars and winners of the season that we've barely mentioned so far and that's landon and carly landon and carly get the win we we did talk about landon playing politics for the first time he did a very good job with that we didn't totally we stopped short of talking about it's not just that he teams up and is willing to play at the beginning but he also flips sides at the exact right time in the middle and is the one who is willing to w put Wes and Ev in versus each other, even knowing like, it's not like this is gonna save me from ever going in again, but I don't have that option anymore. He flips sides. So any final thoughts on Landon's political game that we didn't say earlier on? No, I just think that he ultimately made the right moves at the right times. You know, like he got on Wes's train, like, when it was time to get on like while it still ha held some weight and then he hopped off at the right time when the numbers had dwindled down and you realized like okay this guy's kind of ran its course at this moment so he made the right moves at the right times for sure and then so we we mentioned before you know landon maybe if he wins duel two we could really have the is he the best of all time argument he's he's up there for me of like if you could just need one person to win one season and you could pick, you know, any version of any person ever. I'd be hard pressed not to pick Landon around this time, dual two, fresh meat two, but we're not going to try to answer where he ranks all time, just pure player wise. But the one we are going to ask, he is undoubtedly the greatest partner of all time, right? Yeah. Like it's not even close. Not even a question. It's just from, this is a, it, I've given this on a couple different podcasts before, given this opinion of of this season it there's a nuanced way to look at this season here and them winning together because carly you know she's the last pick the last female pick of the draft so they are partners by default she is viewed as kind of the underdog early on all the way through until they end up winning at the end there's obviously the huge exile win that we'll talk about in a moment but a lot of people look at this very kind of like through a binary lens of like 
wow, I can't believe Landon won with Carly as his partner. And that's, you know, like completely unfair to her. And then others, especially she's done a bunch of the interviews before and is such a cool, wonderful person and everything that then it goes the other way of like, no, no, no. Like, why are you not giving Carly her flowers? Like Carly deserves all the credit for this. Like Landon and Carly won together. And I'm one who's like, the parts of both of that are true and matter to like magnify how great what both of them did was because in the exile specifically, yes, Carly is quite literally on the verge of consciousness for like 30 straight minutes, which is wild for anyone to push themselves to that limit and then keep going. That is, no one does that. No one, no one can do that. It's so unbelievably hard. And that is the part that I think she needs to get her credit for like, that's a mental toughness that few in sports have, you know, like that's what makes great athletes, mm -hmm. great athletes is that they're willing to push themselves that hard continuously over and over. But in the land and being the greatest partner of all time, there is not a man or woman on in the history of the challenge house specifically that ever, ever, ever could have won this season with Carly as their partner, because no one else in that moment could have handled their partner being on the verge of consciousness the way with the patience and the motivation and the like knowledge and understanding of the situation that Landon does. Anyone else you put him, her with in that moment, you know, is just getting pissed off, it's is over. just yelling, is pushing too yeah. hard. And then suddenly Carly's not on the verge of consciousness. She's passed out and is actually like, nope, done, can't do it any further. And Landon has the patience and the wherewithal to be like, okay, my partner's eyes are rolling into the back of her head. What do I do here? Well, we're in first. So like we can slow down. We can stand still until if they catch up, that's a different story. You know, hey, sit down, drink water. He like holds her by the face multiple different times and is like, look at me, look at me. No, I need you to just focus on me for like 10 seconds. Prove you could focus on something for 10 seconds. And I think it's a tough, you know, it's a tough argument to have without, without either being like, with while trying to thread the needle that I'm trying to thread here of like, this is the most impressive thing I've ever maybe seen in challenge history is Landon pulling this win out of his Carly season while also not like saying Carly was some horrible competitor by any means. Cause she was awesome. And again, I pushing herself to that limit is so incredible, but is there any single one else you could think of? We'll just keep it to the guys. Cause you know, it would be a guy partnered with her that could have, that could have won this season or could have won even that exile with Carly in that situation other than Landon. Besides maybe Dunbar, I don't think any. <laughs> Just kidding. Are you a big Dunbar guy? No, no. <laughs> That's a yes. <laughs> there's a lot. Oh, there's but... more of you out there than you think. Yeah, no. All jokes aside, no. I genuinely believe he's the only guy. Yeah, it's just, and then the final, you know, is its own thing. Literally putting his head in her butt and pushing her up the last, yeah. you know, the last hill, and everything. Is this? I uh, once on the Challenge Fandom podcast joined them to try to break down and name the greatest single season performance ever, like the most dominant performance ever in the history of the show of anyone that won or even people that didn't win, maybe that were that dominant, you know, and, you know, like Laurel and Kenny actually get mentioned, got mentioned in that conversation. And I came down to Jordan on War of the Worlds 2 and Landon on this season as the ones that I thought were, you know, the greatest single season ever played or most dominant single season ever played. 
I I kind of landed at landed on this one is like the most impressed I've ever been with like I can't believe after all that you guys won. Would you feel similar? Is there any any others that pop up immediately to your mind that you think are like on the same level as this win for Landon and Carly? No, I I, I agree with you on that regard. I think if you just want to point out a single like elimination or not elimination, like a single final win, you can make an argument that Jordan's actually 30-30 win after yeah. the plane. The if you're just talking the final itself, yeah, he won just the final itself. Thirty on a yeah. torn ACL. However, I, I, th- yeah, I think. But if you factor in the fact that Landon not only won, but like had to rely on like another like individual, like to like had to carry that person with him in order to win, is a lot more impressive. Like if Landon hypothetically like fell out of a helicopter and won. Like oh that's impressive, but like he only had to win for himself. He had to roll. He had to carry another like grown human along with him. Otherwise, he couldn't win. You know, so that's why I think Fresh Meat Two's win is just performance as a whole is my most impressive. Yeah, and he in the final, the kind of icing on the cake of like how good at every single thing they're asked to do, Landon is, and how just kind of athletically much better he is than everyone else at this like era of the show is. They win the final almost entirely because of the long segment where they have to carry the 80-pound rucksack and all the other teams struggle mightily to carry it. And Landon just casually throws it on his shoulder. I'm sure not casually. I'm sure it sucked. But has no problem just being like, I'm throwing this on the shoulder of court. Like, Carly, you're never going to be asked to carry this. Don't worry. And, like, no problem at all. That separates them in a huge way. The biking portion (laughs) – where almost all of the duos end up walking the bikes, but immediately Landon just says, Carly, like we're both getting off. I am going to push both bikes, one in one hand, one in the other. You're going to stand behind me and hold on to my back. And I'm going to dr- I'm going to literally pull you to give you some of my energy. And the whole way up that section is him pushing both bikes, pulling his partner literally, and still going faster than everyone else. And then of course we mentioned before him literally as they climb the final mountain being like, I'm going to get behind you and I'm going to put my head in your ass and I am going to push. So every time I take a step, I'm going to push you up with my head. You're going to have to take a step. He's just, he's just on a level of his own. Um, and it's why, even though he only did four seasons and he didn't quite win all four of them and only did three of them. When you do talk the best ever, you've got to, you know, it's why him and Jordan are the two with less of a, you know, not as bulky of a resume as the CT and bananas of the world get mentioned because you can just tell they have moments like this season where it's just like they're clearly athletically just on a different level than everyone else around them at that time. So with that, let's move from storylines to awards and uh, let's hand out some hardware. And we've, we've got a bunch of awards. How we do this every time, Mike, is I split the challenge. When I think about the challenge, I always talk about there's a show side and a sports side. There's two pillars to the show itself. And so my awards are split in half as well. We got three awards for the sports side, three awards for the show side. We'll start with the sports side, the best daily challenge, the best exile, you know, normally elimination, but exile in this one in the best athletic performance. Starting with the best daily challenge, before we list the nominees, any overall thoughts on just this collection of daily challenges in general, love, hate, somewhere in the middle? I like them. They were pretty unique. You know, you had some of them, like the one where they had to push against the log was innovative. You had another one, I believe, where the male partner had to jump onto like, it looked like a 
boxing bag or something of that nature, right? And then. Oh, can you hear me? Oh, there we go. Yeah, all right, you're back now. It was a little oh, yeah. choppy for um, a second. Yeah, the daily challenge where they had the, looked like it was the male partner jumped onto like a boxing bag of sorts. Yes, uh, had to like climb, climb the ladder up or two different ladders up and then jump on. Was the, not the invention they'd had people falling before, but a couple, a couple early contenders for worst falls in challenge history between Carly and Evelyn on that daily challenge took some really, really, really hard <laughs> falls. Yeah, I think I kind of always I'm biased towards I like I like partner seasons the best in general versus individual or team seasons. But I also part of that is I like the partner challenges they come up with usually are like my favorite kind of challenges yeah. come out of being able to build a partner one. There's four this season. I think overall in the season they're like they're pretty good. They're above average. It's not like the greatest set of challenges we've ever had, but there's no real duds. And I definitely, you know, there's some seasons where you're like, uh, I kind of didn't like any of the stuff they were doing. So I think this one's definitely at least above average. The four that I'm going to say are the nominees for the best of the season that I'll run through here. And then we can each take our, take our pick at which one we think was the best overall the season. And if I don't mention one, you think should have been on there you can you can voice your opinion for that chronologically episode one dirty mouth which is when they have to blindfold you know wrestle for the yoga balls in the mud pit a classic you know challenge staple this was the second or third time they had done a variation of this challenge and it would ultimately become one that happens usually the first episode of a lot of seasons is the like wrestling for the balls in the mud pit we're about to actually get that as the first daily challenge on season 38 if the trailer is indicative of when that is going to happen but laurel and kenny assert their dominance early on uh it's funny because the the blindfolded aspect of it makes it very fun and funny all everything about that's really good episode two i'll be there for you is where they have to one at a time dive down 15 feet, pick up a car battery off the base of the you know lake or whatever that they're in, lift it up and then take turns switching places and holding their breath and holding it up for as long as they can. Carly and Landy get the win. They do a final round versus Kenny and Laurel who come up with the strategy of like pulling the weight up to the top of the water and just keeping their head underneath a little bit. It's really scary. <laughs> and like, if I had to do that, I would be so freaked out. All the holding the breath stuff they used to do was always pretty intimidating for me, but I thought this was inventive and interesting and cool and plays out really well. It's competitive and it's the first time Landon and Carly kind of assert like everyone, Danny in the background says she's a wild card, like five times in a row about Carly in this moment, which I can never get out of my head of just him to anyone that'll listen like, man, what a wild card. She's a wild card, right? Carly, wow, what a wild card. And I just almost like, dude, shut up. Just please stop talking and stop coming on the show. So that one, third nominee, Turnstile, you referenced where they start in teams of four. They get to team up before it and actually have another little draft, which works out flawlessly as the draft always does in the world of the challenge and push against each other to turn the log around. Very reminiscent of the dual one elimination where it was a one-on-one. -on -one. This is a eventually a two-on-two -two version or a four-on-four -four version. It has the big moment of Evelyn, you know, throwing her around to let CJ and Wes just get a win because right before pete and kenny and laurel and jill go for over an hour and just totally wreck their bodies and so evelyn's like dude wes cj you guys could beat these guys if they have to go immediately again 
They do not. That is ultimately then leads to the downfall that we talked about of Wes and Ev after that, sacrificing themselves to save their ass one final time, but ultimately ruining everything. So very consequential daily challenge. And then the fourth and final nominee, Wrecking Ball, where one partner gets strung up by their feet, the other partner swings them around and has to keep them from swinging through the middle of the little field they're in while they build a puzzle and they have to keep pushing their partner away to build the puzzle in the middle, which leads to a lot of comedy, a lot of a lot of women crashing into puzzles when their male partners have no chance at swinging them around or keeping them away. So of those four, or a different one, if you think there's a different one, which one would you say was the best of the season, both in the game itself, how it, how it what shook out, whether it was competitive, all things considered, what's your favorite or best of the season? I would have picked the turnstile one because I thought it was like really dramatic, both from like a standpoint of like, you know, you had to finally get to see Kenny and Wes kind of like go up against each other, so to speak, like in a physical aspect. And also from a standpoint of the numbers playing a part because they let Jill and Pete win because they knew like, okay, we're not going to really be on the chopping block. And plus we get to prove our allegiance to somebody. That way we got a firm number in our hand. So I would probably choose that one. I'm with you. I think I'm I'm really biased towards the holding your breath stuff because I just think it's really interesting and like their most creative. They're at their kind of most creative when they come up with stuff like this. And also just being such a big Landon and Carly fan that like they win that one. So I was leaning a little there, but I think Turnstile is the answer, both because it's a really good game. We get a lot of performances that are indicative of this whole season between Landon after the initial, like the one hour long one where it's Landon and Carly teamed up with Ryan and Teresa versus Jill and Pete, Kenny and Laurel. They're at a standstill for over an hour. It's Ryan's best performance where he like goes mano a mano with, I believe, Pete for like an hour and is like holding his ground, if not winning. They almost win. And then when they switch to after an hour, they go boys only and Pete and, and Kenny pulled off, but Landon's literally dead afterwards. Like he falls over and like, he like can't move. Like he's, you know, completely and totally taxed and out of it. So you get all of that. You get Wes losing straight up to not straight up to Kenny. Cause when they do the, that matchup, then it, it's Wes is on the opposite side of Pete and it's Pete that completely destroys Wes and like pushes his thing all the way around and like wins that round for them. But it does feel like, you know, Kenny's side versus Wes's side straight up mano a mano and just a physical who could push the other one. And, you know, the side that wins is indicative of the season. And then, like you said, uh, them, them letting Pete and Jill win for the political ramifications that came of that all in all, this daily challenge brings every, everything to the table and does everything you'd want a daily to do for that episode in the season. So turnstile it is, that's the winner. As for Best Exile, normally this award's a little more fun because we got all these eliminations to pick from. This season, Exiles are all, you know, there's two versions of it, but they're essentially the same thing. It's a long, a six-mile run. The one, the one up the hill is a little shorter. The other one's six miles, puzzles in between. You're carrying weight during it. You finish the puzzle. You get a little advantage, drop some weight, whatnot. Quickly before we name the best one, your feelings on having a season with exiles versus the normal elimination setup it's unique but i think it's mostly unique in the aspect that like the other teams don't get to watch or see who's or know who's coming back that part i like but 
I actually would have preferred like a normal elimination setup, I think. Yeah, it's interesting. I think it's one that it's one of their best decisions ever that they nailed it, that they did this twice for Fresh Meat and Fresh Meat 2, and that's it because it's really cool and interesting and it works and it pans out in this you know season. A lot of Exiles are really like riveting and the reveal afterwards back in the house is like interesting and the way they added the back and forth with that is great. But I definitely... If, if this would have became the norm or something, that would have been horrible. So I think they nailed it of like, we did this, it was yeah. cool and creative, but like, we're not going to press our luck. We're not going to, we're just only going to have done it the twice. We're going to get back to the regular eliminations. Because if I had to pick one or the other, of course, I'm picking regular eliminations over, over the exiles. But it is cool and interesting. And it's also nice that it's like, gives you evidence of like, who's going to win this final. Because they're, you know, they are a version of finals every single yeah. time, which is wild that they are as long as they are. As for the best of the season, you you correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think as much as a bunch of them were very competitive and very consequential of who beat who, I don't think there's any any doubt in my mind that we don't even have to have other nominees other than Landon and Carly beating Evan Luke in the blackout version, which safety, the, the safety standards on the challenge had slowly but surely gotten to a decent place by this season, but that course that they do the wait for me one on that path is not very wide and there's like no barrier on the one side of it and it's just like a drop and for them to be stumbling and carrying all that weight i was terrified when they did this during the day i think it was luke the first time luke's in one like literally like stumbles with this thing one time and i'm like dude you're about to fall off the fucking cliff like what what is going on here when they then had to do this at night in the pitch black I was I was very scared someone was going to get hurt. But would you? Is there any other exile you would put up anywhere near Landon and Carly versus Evan Luke? No, you nailed it. Uh, that's got to be. I think that's the only answer <laughs> that you could yeah. possibly give there. It's just too much of a you know. It's one of the moments you think of from this season, which it'll be. We'll talk about it again in a moment when we get to that award. But yeah, you know, shout Paula versus Evelyn is obviously great. That's close. That has ramifications into the future. West versus Evelyn is interesting just because they end up there, you know, but there's just nothing that really touches that one. So Landon and Carly, you get, you get another win to add to the resume, the best exile of the season, then a best athletic performance of the season. This one, a little bit harder than most, most seasons. This is pretty easy award to give out. This isn't the best win. It's like the boat when someone, you know, gets to really show off their athletic abilities the most, for instance, like Landon has won this award, but previously for the season i think it was inferno two or whatever his rookie season was where him he, he was, had yeah, to go head inferno to, two, yeah yeah he had to go head to head with ct climbing the rope like up into the sky and he got like twice as far as anyone else and it was literally like one-on-one -on -one to win the thing so like that type of moment is what we're looking for here in this season a lot of those come in eliminations sometimes or in individual dailies so this season had you know a lot less of that my four nominees that I put up is first nor for his combine, because again, I said it before, but just to reiterate, he literally had the best numbers in, in three of the four things that they had to do. And he was second in the other one, which was the vertical leap, which being a shorter person, yes, is both a help and a hurts you in that style thing, but way more pull-ups, way faster and a four, eight, four, 40 yard dash for just a regular person in street clothes being told to just sprint on command 
that's pretty damn fast and the fastest obstacle course side. So while we didn't get to see a ton of it other than the the one photo highlight of him running the 40, Norris Combine definitely stands out as like he was the clear, obvious number one pick. Laurel in Dirty Mouth is dominant and is like a great first episode, first daily for her to just announce herself as like, you know, she ends that one with, she stumbles upon, I think it's Carly that's holding the last ball in the last round and just rips it from her. And Darrell has a great quote about it that they actually put in the challenge documentary last week, that, that moment of the end of that mates, the documentary Pete in episode six, because on turnstile, which we just talked about, he's the real reason they win both of the two rounds that they win, not Kenny or Laurel, a big part Laurel, but both of them come down to just the guys. They tell the girls to leave. And so Pete in that one, definitely. And then the fourth nominee isn't a specific one. It just feels right. Laurel and Kenny kind of like by default of the collection of their, their performances overall, I felt hard pressed to not at least nominate them for the best athletic performance of the season. Even if there isn't one specific thing that stands out over the, over all of them, am I missing any? And if not, what would, what would be your pick out of this? No, I think you, you got all the, the right picks, but I think for who I'm going to give it to, I'll use this analogy because in the NFL, when they hand out the MVP awards at the end of the season, it's usually not to whoever ends up like winning in the playoffs or the Super Bowl. It's usually based on like the regular season performance. So by that metric, I would probably have to give it to Kenny Laurel, I think. Yeah, I think you're spot on. And, you know, maybe I think we I'll go ahead and just say Laurel. Both of them, but if one of them, if there's only one award to actually give one, one then trophy, we'll go to Laurel, gonna, we'll go to Laurel for yeah. for Dirty Mouth specifically. If we have to put a specific on it, but yeah, that, those two between the crust the whole season, it's just not even close most of the time. And it's as you referenced earlier in the pod, it's not just that they win everyone; it's that they have to win everyone. They know going in, like we have to win. And yes, they do get, do get to go last, which this is one of many seasons where picking the order matters and they you know get to watch and assess but regardless it's just it's just unbelievable then we move to the the three awards or with four i guess awards in the end on the show side of things starting with best quote which i will i will read the nominees aloud to you here mike the listeners will thankfully not hear my sad version of it i will overlay the actual better versions of it but for you're going to have to stick for just actually hearing me say them out loud because the the audio on Zoom I've tried in the past playing the clips for my guests and whatnot and the the audio just doesn't always doesn't always track on that so I've got five nominees here and I have a strong contender of who I think should win in chronological order we've got Sandy in the first episode who in referencing the amount of money they are playing for she mentions that if she were to win she would be spending them on. Like, I'm not even a full A cup, so if I get this money, yeah, I'm definitely throwing some Ds on this bitch. <laughs> she ultimately doesn't get that money, but she would not have been the first or the last uh, challenge competitor to use their, their winnings on such an investment. We've seen that a few times. And then we've got back-to-back -back nominees from Paula, both in the third episode. The first one during the vote, that episode is the first time that some of the Fresh Meat cast members go rogue and they vote opposite what their alumni partner does and they seemingly don't tell their alumni they're going to do this beforehand. Pete does, Nor does. I think there's one other and Paula says, quote, What the hell? Noir throws in another random vote and I'm like, what the hell are these Fresh Meat doing? 
they have an opinion of their own that's so inappropriate. But it's just a very funny moment of her getting very mad. And then the other one that episode that I referenced earlier is in the exile. She is, you know, begging Jeff to keep running, to keep up with her. And she says, quote, Come on, Jeff. You tried out for the Navy SEALs. I'm a girl who played the tuba. I wore headgear and I have fake boobs. Let's go. Oh, it's so irritating that I have to keep yelling at this 200 and something pound man to hurry up. <laughs> Just rips him apart with this and comically, but also very seriously of like, bro, like, come on. How are you not keeping up with me right now? Fourth nominee then is Noor during the Jen Mandy. When Jen, we should just say flat out, punches Mandy in the face. There's no, there's no way around this. I have watched the frame by frame as I did that episode just to double check and make sure. Never mentioned again, no, no even thought, no production coming in, no even thought to kick Jen off the season for punching another woman straight in the face and connecting in the face. But Noor's trying to hold her back. And he says, uh, oh, actually, there's that is not the one that made the list. I'm talking about a sep totally separate one. In that moment, he talks about Jen ripping his exoskeleton off, which could have made this list. The one that does make it is when Carly takes the horrible fall in episode five on the Daily Challenge. She falls. It's horrible. She comes out making all kinds of crazy noises from the fall. And Noor says, quote, Carly comes up making the noise of perhaps like a pregnant manatee or a dying whale. Those are very spot on. It's actually kind of, kind of, I don't know what that would sound like, but I imagine it is the noises that come out of Carly's mouth, which is the second season in a row that we get a, an aquatic animal noise reference. The season prior, we get MJ falling during the trivia, sounding like a dying seal, as I think it's Rachel Robinson that says about it. So two seasons in a row, we get a similar quote. And then the final one is Wes, after being eliminated. Coming on these challenges are worth it. I'm in an exclusive club, although I feel like the, most of the members are a lot lower individuals than I am. But that being said, I need rehab for challenges. I need to go to a place and say, hi, I'm Wes, I'm 24 years old, and I'm a challenge-aholic. Of those five, Mike, I know you only had to, you had to imagine them saying them as you heard me, but the listeners heard the real versions. Which one stands out to you? Which one would you give the award to? I'm giving mine to Paula in Exile with Jeff. Yes. <laughs> it's the only, it's the only nominee or it's the only, it's the only, it's the only one. It's so good. The moment's so perfect. It's indicative of what we said earlier about Paula, you know, this season and her in general being a little underrated and like. That moment is the exact clip from this season of like, she's literally picked the guy who had the best stats of the combine, who said he tried out for the Navy SEALs, and she's out there just yelling at him, desperately pleading, please keep up. I am beating Evelyn right now, and you're losing this for me. Yeah, Paula gets the win, and I will also say it's not listed on the outline I gave you, but I also, during Best Quote, always do the Dan Renzi Award for the confessional king or queen of the season. Dan Renzi is I around circa challenge 2000 or extreme challenge. Yeah. Extreme challenge. Excuse me. What one of the two, man, I've done too many of these seasons too fast in a row. Do you remember one of those two? Dan Renzi was the original to me, confessional King of like, just let that man talk in the interview the whole time. We've had lots of Kings and Queens of the confessional over the years, but the award is named for him this season. It goes to Paula, even in three episodes 
collectively, she's by far the best interview, the best confessional this season. Would you would you disagree with that at all? No, I 100% would say Paul is the confessional queen for the season. All right. And then we come to the, the, the biggest awards, the iconic moment award, which with this, Mike, it's not, I don't call it the best moment of the season because often the kind of iconic memorable moments aren't always like people's best moments, but it's some mixture of the best moment of the season, the most memorable, the most infamous. The easiest way to think about it is if I tell you fresh meat too, like we're talking or whatever, and then I just randomly bring up fresh meat too, the first thing your head's going to go to, what they're the first moment that's going to maybe come up to your mind. Or if I know, I know you're a man who likes a bracket. I really enjoyed your best real world season of all time bracket that you did. Mm -hmm. I guess it's been a, a while back now. Is that springtime? Mar that was March. Yeah. Think of this category here as when someone like myself or you that understands brackets much better than the official challenge account, they did what I thought was a horrific greatest challenge moment of all time bracket fairly recently where I was just appalled at the, the, what they picked to go in or not go in their bracket. So one day I will do a, a true version of the actual greatest moments in challenge history, most memorable moments. And I will mostly be looking to these lists of nominees of each season as the obvious ones that would make it in there. So with all of that lengthy explanation for what the iconic moment is, it's like an MVP in sports. It takes, takes a little explanation. It's not just a clear cut thing. I've got six nominees. I'll run through them. You tell me if I'm missing any, and if not, which one stands out to you or which, which couple maybe stand out to you, which ones you're debating between. First episode, Combine and Draft. We talked at length about it. We don't got to add anything to it. It's fantastic. It works every time, and it's a nice, really good open to the season. Second episode, Evelyn and Carly have a condiment fight. It's mostly a peanut butter fight. It turns into a lot of condiment fights in is in the midst of a, there's a lot of party and craziness segments in the first couple episodes. That one really stands out. Third episode, Jen versus Mandy, followed immediately by Jen and Wes's contract being revealed. That entire segment, her monologue, her punching Mandy, the contract being revealed, all of it, that moment. Fourth nominee, Brandon partying naked, coming down, doing the shot, holding his junk in his hand, doing the shot, getting in the hot tub naked, followed by the next morning, having the morning beers and ultimately getting disqualified because he drank before the exile that they were just trying to start and then give up because of Caitlin's energy, energy injury. That all moment, fifth nominee, Wes, Evelyn, and Kenny cutting the deal in episode six that ultimately screws Wes and Evelyn over in that kind of heated discussion on the porch. Kenny being like, you guys are going to fuck me over. Why would I ever do this? But then kind of seeing Kenny realize in the moment, if they don't, this is going to work out for me, not them. And then the final moment, episode eight, Carly on the verge of consciousness, that entire exile, her and Landon's win over Luke and yeah, Luke and Evelyn. Those would be the six moments I kind of think of as like the biggest flashbulb moments the, for top of mind. If I think of this season, am I missing any that you would want to give a shout out to or think belong on this list of nominees? I would actually throw in the potatoes fight with Danny and Pete <laughs> and, Bra uh, yeah. and Brandon as well. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. And because Wes gets hurt. They don't <laughs> show it. it. They don't show this, but if you, I want you, once we're done with this, you probably don't, or haven't realized this maybe, or you might've, and just like brushed it off. 
I want you to go back and rewatch that like clip from that episode. If you notice when the fight first starts, Danny has a hat on and then like when they flash forward like after the incident takes place when they're like in each other's face, Danny no longer has the hat on and he's got like a lump on the side of like his like forehead. It's because they didn't show this, but Pete like slammed Danny's head against the counter. Like when he went what? to go take the potatoes. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. Did you, did you learn that from one of them or someone Pete, else in the house yeah, from, from Pete? Pete? Yeah. Wow. Well, that just adds even more to like, they clearly didn't care about cast violence this season for like, they didn't say a yeah. word about Jed punching Mandy. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> and that, I mean, that makes more it helps Danny's case too for being, I mean, it's completely silly the, that drunken Danny gets himself into that situation anyways. Pete deserved, maybe not deserved to slam someone's head into a table, but he does just walk up and just bare hand swipe all the food off his plate. And it's just like, dude, that's just not, not cool. But it makes way more sense why Danny was even more like turned up then and like ready to like, now I'm ready to like yeah. fight someone. I don't care who it is. Brandon, great for no reason. Let's just get in a fight. That makes way more sense. That's that's wild. I am gonna have to go back, go back and watch because I also always remember that moment where both Wes gets pushed and hits his head and like falls to the fetal position, but then gets up and jumps on Brandon and literally like bear hugs Brandon from the front, and Brandon's just walking around with like a Wes backpack on the front side of him. And yeah, everything at then Danny apologizing like 1700 times and Brandon's very funny confessional of like when Danny said sorry. Then he said sorry again. Then he kept saying sorry, and he said sorry again. And eventually, I was like, "It's okay. We're, we we can move on from this." So that that deserves to be on the list. I like that. Would that be your pick to to win the iconic moment award, or which one are you go uh, from winner? an objective standpoint? Like, I know that's probably the not the most memorable moment. So, like, if I'm just giving an objective award, I would probably say like the Carly exile win with Landon. Yeah, it's hard. This is where this award becomes really hard to do because if I do use that single question that I, you know, ended my way too long explanation with of like, if you are said, someone says fresh me too, what's the first thing you think of? I think of Landon and Carly winning. And I think of, you know, everything we talked about before of, you know, how impressive it was of Landon, how impressive it was of Carly to be on the verge of consciousness. So that, that comes to mind first, but I think. I'm tempted to go with Jen and Mandy's fight. I definitely know that it's making it into like the like greatest moments ever bracket, assuming the bracket ends up one day being, you know, like a 64 moment bracket and not like 16 or something. That really stands out to me as just one of the like classic fights in yeah. challenge history. And again, the fact that she doesn't, there's no repercussions for punching someone in the face. I was tempted Jen, to pick that one. And yeah, Jen's mon monologue is just so perfect in that moment of like, if you don't know, I'm doing my job, baby. And then, you know, the the words they exchange are vicious and really mean, but they're at least contained to the moment of like, all right, someone's punched someone. Now we're going to start saying some really horrible, you know, calling each other some really horrible names and everything, which, you know, that feels like the like good version of that quote unquote where it's like only in the heat of the moment when you're like all right we're allowed to say whatever the fuck we want <laughs> are we going to say whatever we want outside of that we're not going to be horrible to each other so i'm gonna i'm gonna go with you i think it's only right it's carly and landon in in that exile shout out to jen and mandy who i think will ultimately make the the bracket one day 
Then we got the individual awards, the final two awards to give here, the rookie of the season and the MVP. The rookie of the season, I think, is pretty easy, probably, but from a nominee standpoint, this season there's, I think I have all of them listed here. We got CJ, Brandon, well, to be fair to everyone, we have CJ and Caitlin are the two non-fresh meat rookies this season, coming from Brooklyn and Cancun, respectively. And then, obviously, all the fresh meat are rookies. They're up for this, but I put the nominees of at least deserve mention of a nominee is CJ, Brandon, Carly, Laurel, Pete, Luke, Nor, Mandy, and Teresa, which is way more nominees than we usually have for a rookie of the season. But again, over half the cast are rookies in this standpoint. Who from that group stands out to you the most? Who do you think deserves the rookie of the season award? Might be frozen again. As a whole, would be by a guy or girl rookie of the year, I would say. Can you, can you see me? Yes. Now, now it's moving fluid. All right. Okay. Good. Yeah. From a whole general basis, I would probably say Laurel would be the rookie of the year, but if we're doing a girl and guy rookie of the year, I would say Laurel and Pete actually. Yeah. I think Pete deserves a shout out. If this was, if we did both sides on the gender here, I think Pete would edge out nor as much as I love nor he, Pete just does a lot more between, you know, having the makeout buddies with Jen and performing super well, making the final, being a good hang the whole season long, but uh, it is just a one person award and you're, you're spot on. I mean, how can it be anyone other than Laurel? Yeah. She wins everything. She has epic first night party first ever night in a challenge house where she, you know, makes out with three or four different people ends up passed out on the couch and everyone, no one says a word about it really. Cause they're just like, well, obviously she's going to kick all of our ass anyways. And then the next day kicks all of their ass in the mud wrestling. So yeah, that Laurel without a doubt, and is, is likely the only rookie that's going to get mentioned in the, the biggest award and that's season MVP. We are still going into this. We have still never had a two-time MVP in challenge history, which is pretty wild. You'll be, you're well situated with your sports fandom to, to understand the MVP here of, of course, it doesn't just, it's not just who wins the season every year that they won the season. They already won that. It is who is the most valuable to this season of the challenge, you know, hands down. If you remove this one person, the season has the biggest Biggest drop off some seasons. There's really great MVPs. There's three, four candidates that are really, really good, really deserving. Some seasons, there's been a couple seasons where it's kind of hard to even pick. The Gauntlet Three, for instance, Frank ended up getting the MVP on the Gauntlet Three, and it didn't feel like, you know, it rose to the level of some of the other season MVPs have in the past. But that happens in sports, that happens in the challenge house. So I like to break it down and uh, kind of three categories, the gone too soon, honorable mentions and contenders. In the gone too soon, sometimes there's more, a lot of people in this where they're like, you had a huge impact, but you went home in the third episode. So, you know, 10 episode season, you're not gonna really get consideration for this season. It's only one person in that category and that's Paula. Is there anyone else from the early exits that you think had such a big impact? They deserve at least a mention of like, shout out to them. They were putting forward an MVP season, but then, you know, the equivalent of they got hurt in the NFL or NBA or something in this, they got voted out. So, you know, Paula, I feel like was putting up MVP stats for three episodes, but it's only three episodes. She's gone too soon. Would you, would you throw Wes in that category? Cause I agree about Paula. I don't know. I mean, Wes 
wasn't really necessarily performing that well, but like he had the game by a stranglehold. Well, he so Wes is there for seven of the ten episodes, which I think is plenty enough to like. He's he's on my contenders list. He's a full fledged nominee in my mind for the MVP of this season, and it's it's very similar to you know sports awards like being the big NBA guy I am, there's always every year, like if someone gets hurt, it's like, how many games do you have to play for me to consider like whether you played all of them or not? Like in the NFL, it's like, yeah, if you played 14 games and you were the best, is that enough to for someone who played every single season or every single game in Challenge House? It's like, it's kind of that two thirds, the three quarters mark. Like if you've made it there, if if the whole story is about you and it, you, but you went home in episode seven of 10, you're still in contention for me. You still like the season, you know, like Wes this season, we'll mention him in a second, but like he's a contender to me. So the gone too soon portion is really, truly like, yeah, you were barely here, but you did a lot in your minute, in your minute here, which I think Paula is the only one that kind of fits. Yeah, that I, would agree with, I agree with that. But um, Honorable mentions then, not contenders to win the award, but I think deserving of a shout out just for being value adds this season. And because we maybe didn't mention them as much as they maybe deserved over the course of this podcast, Jen, Teresa, Brandon, and Ryan feel like none of them I'm actually considering for MVP, but I feel like they deserve, they all had, yeah, they added something. Yeah. Yeah. So shout out to those four as for contenders. I have five. You tell me if you'd add anyone to this list and then we can debate their merits. I've got Laurel, Landon, Wes, Evelyn, and Kenny as the five true contenders, the, those would be the five that would make my final ballot in one order or another. Do you think anyone else deserves mention in this final list of contenders? No, those are the only five I think that could possibly be up for consideration. Where's your head at then on, are you leaning towards anyone in particular in this group? Is there anyone you think is, yeah, you're in a contender, but you're you're at the bottom, you're at the you're at fifth of my ballot? I would, in order, in terms of rankings here, I think would go West would be fifth out of those five. I think Evelyn would be fourth, then would be Kenny, and then it would come down to Landon and Laurel, but I would actually give the edge to Laurel if we're talking from a whole season basis. I think, you know, when you think of the word valuable, you know, if you if you remove Laurel from the season, I think you see a vastly different season. Landon could still win. You know what I mean? But let's just say for story purposes, you remove Laurel. We don't get like that same like ebb and flow rivalry and like game shifting going back and forth where Wes's alliance has to like scramble and be like, what do we do? They keep winning all the time. We don't have that. And Landa just goes on and wins an otherwise probably less memorable season. Like it'd be still impressive from a physical standpoint with Landon at the end, but you wouldn't have like the same ebb and flow that you would have by having Laurel here. Like you subtract her and we don't get the same season in my opinion. Whereas if you subtract Landon, you know, we lose a potentially very physically dominant season, but not a whole lot else. This is this is interesting. Cause at first I was like, I think you're valuing too much the just how they did in the competition. But then your your argument's very spot on that while as much as this season is about, you know, Wes and Ev versus Kenny, and my argument against Laurel would have initially been, well, yeah, she kicks ass in all the competitions, but she's kind of not actually a part of the, like, the political storyline itself. You're spot on that without her, that political storyline doesn't exist because Kenny doesn't win every single one of the challenges. So 
I like what you're saying here. Help me work through a couple other things. So my my issue, I actually would have probably initially, although I'm changing it on the fly here, would kind of had Laurel in fifth because of what I just said of like, yeah, she kicked apps, but from the storyline perspective, and I maybe weight the show side versus the sports side a little more in my thoughts on the MVP of you know the most valuable to the season of the show. And I had Landon in fourth because while he won he wasn't as big of a factor. And I just kind of, yeah. by default was like, it's gotta be Wes, Evan, Kenny in the top, like the whole season's about them. But now I'm kind of almost flipping that. And on your side, my issue is that I, I said, when we started this segment, there's never been a two-time winner of the MVP before, right? And there's been a lot of seasons where I thought it was gonna happen. And then on rewatch, I was just like, clearly it's not gonna happen. And my issue here is that I am really tempted to say, Kenny is the MVP of the season and Kenny has won the MVP before. And I don't know if I give the same disclaimer every season, you know, about him and others. And, you know, by the time someone's listening to this, they will have listened to me talk about the ruins and, you know, there's a lot to talk about with that season with, you know, him in particular and everything. I don't want to be the guy that says Kenny is the first two time MVP of the challenge because of other, you know, extenuating circumstances, but he, they get second in the end. He is half of the, even if Laurel was the dominant half of his team, he's the other half of it. The storyline is Wes and Ev versus Kenny and Kenny wins and Kenny pulls ultimately has the more brilliant political moves in the end, even if he's kind of backed into them by Wes and Ev blowing it. So I was, I came into this prepared to talk myself into in the moment that Kenny should win. It should be the first time I ever give someone a second MVP award. Again, because what I also said earlier, when we just talk about this season only, the other season he won was uh, the Inferno 3, which uh, I know people listening unfortunately can't rewatch that season. It's not available. Not a good season all overall and uh, not a very enjoyable season. And it's the first of string of seasons where there's kind of a lot of gross, you know, bad behavior, behavior. basically yeah. going on. And weirdly enough, that is what the other season where it's like, Kenny seems to be the one everyone likes and isn't being as mean to everyone as he turns out to be in other instances. And this season is kind of same as we said earlier, like everyone likes him. He's actually loyal to yeah. everyone this season. So I was torn between Wes, Ev and him having to be at the top, but I love Landon so much. And I like your argument for Laurel so much that if we do go by like, who do we remove? what actually happens. Obviously, if you remove Wes or Kenny, we don't have that storyline, but I like what you had said about if we remove Laurel, we don't have that storyline either. So I'm kind of finding myself torn. I'm at a little crossroads here. If Laurel isn't on Kenny's team, Kenny does not see the light of day of the final on that season. Yeah, we mentioned before if Darrell picks Laurel, even if then you give Kenny Carr Maria Kenny's out, yeah, Kenny's, out Kenny's out the first episode. Kenny's out the first episode yeah. if he has Teresa. Darrell and Laurel Darrell and Laurel probably win that daily, and then Wes does the same thing that he did with Kenny in saying, like, hey, let's get this guy out of here. And he cuts a deal with Darrell, and then they send Kenny in that first episode. It's probably what happens. Yeah, and I bet it actually would have went as far as it might have ultimately made for a kind of more boring season afterward, but... If Darrell picks Laurel, they do win the first challenge and Wes tries to make that deal, 
but I would see Darrell being like, nope, no West. Yeah, he uh, might, how yeah, this he is going to go is me. you and Kenny are both going in there because no one in the house wants to deal with y'all's bullshit this whole season. And I feel like it would have been Kenny versus West for one episode and one of them would yeah. have won. Uh, it, yeah. Well, I am. I also, when I think of these awards, as much as I shouldn't do it because I am doing these all retroactively, it's different than, you know, in the world of sports or whatever, where you're doing it in the moment. I do like to think historical context, and I'm not sure there's going to be another season where Laurel wins the MVP, but she feels like someone who deserves her impact on the show deserves to be an MVP winner. So I think I think we've gotten there. I think I'm going to come all the way around, and I think I'm going to be with you, and I think we're going to give the MVP of the season to Laurel. I think I feel okay about it. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, Laurel, welcome to the club. And we continue to not have a two-time winner in the history of this show, which I haven't actually, but again, time of recording, pull you behind the scenes, haven't recorded the Dual 2 podcast. Landon may be up for opportunity there, so we could be possibly missing on a, multiple people here who could have been a two-time MVP. But Laurel it is. Laurel gets MVP in her first season ever. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe in the future, maybe a fresh or a free agents, possibly. Maybe a rivals one, possibly. We'll see. See if she I'm, she's going to make some more ballots in the future. But she's the MVP for now, which brings us to the final thing we've got to do before we get out of here. Mike, you've been so gracious with your time. We've got to give the season a full, a final grade. Now. I will, we're going to do this together, but then there will be an addendum because I don't want to make you sit through my, my long deliberation. It's usually 15 to 20 minutes of me recapping and giving my official letter grade that I've done the same I've done for all the seasons so far. So I'll do that after the fact, but together here, what, what letter grade would you give this season and where does it rank all time for you? We know earlier you said it's one of your favorite seasons of all time, but if we try to be as objective as we could possibly be, what, a, what, what letter grade do you give this season and where do you think it falls on the all-time list? I would probably give it a solid B+. I think it's a really solid season. I think, you know, we saw a lot of funny moments. We saw the cast having fun despite a different location, which was kind of new at the time. I think up to that point, we hadn't really seen a ton of cold weather. I think the Duel 2 was a little bit cold, right, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. But aside from that, that was pretty uh, taboo at the time, and they made it work. We saw it was kind of a relatively fresh cast without, like, Johnny and Evan, you know, the Johannas of the world. So I liked the cast setup. Everybody kind of pulled their weight, I thought, in that regard. I think the only thing, and it could have been good because... You know, maybe the daily dominance is what kind of led to a lot of the storylines within the gameplay. But I think, you know, it was a relatively one-sided daily showing throughout the season. That's maybe the only, like, thing where it wasn't a, a ton of suspense from, like, a daily challenge standpoint. That's the one thing that might hurt it. But it has a great ending that makes up for it. And you had, like, the feel-good story at the end that was unlikely. So I think just due to that is enough to make it a solid B plus. And where if you're slightly, I always talk about myself being a pretty tough grader. It sounds like you've got a pretty strict scale or one of those teachers who maybe is hard pressed to give out A's, which is how I think it should be and how I mostly am. Where then would you maybe put it all time for you? Cause I, I'm with you. It's very good, really solid. There's no, there's no weak parts. And the only weak part is, as you said, if you want to say, it's not that competitive, but 
because the dailies aren't that competitive, it makes the political part of the game extremely competitive. And that's, you know, becomes the storyline and is so compelling. So that kind of balances out the nature of like, it's working for the show that one team is dominating. So even that's not really a weakness to me. So it's good across the board, a lot of great involved as a big, big Landon fan. Obviously it's great to like have this be as much as I wanted more Landon in my life, knowing that this was the final season and having the final moment be him on the mountaintop, him and Carly, like so thrilled TJ, giving them their props and everything. All of that is great. Where would you put it kind of in an all time? Not, you know, you don't got to go your one through 37 rank right here, but is this like kind of in top tier with the best seasons ever? Is it a little below whatever group you might have is like best of all time? Where does it fall for you? I would put it in like an A tier for me, at least personally. My S tier, X is two is obviously up there. Rivals two is up there. So I would probably put this in kind of like my A tier, I would say. So just below the, the greatest just of all time? Just below the cream of the crop, but like, yeah. you know, above more than half of the rest of the seasons. For sure. I, I struggle with a little, there's... Again, if you say like best of all time, you're like, you got to qualify for that for me. Like, what are you actually asking about? Because whoever's asking that might be thinking a completely different thing. And it's a subjective word of like, what do you think the best is? I think we said, or I said earlier, you know, I thought this was the best casting job that they had ever done from a like manufacturing in the right way of storylines and everything, which is why this season, it's one of my all time favorites. I'm kind of right with you. It's, if we're talking the best season of all time, the greatest seasons of all time, I've got two to four that are in like the top tier on their own line. And this is certainly in the next group and maybe even at the top of the next group. But I do think from just a like, like you mentioned at the beginning, this would be one of the great seasons if someone's never watched the challenge of like, you should watch this season. It's just a really satisfying, well done season where again, it doesn't have any of those weaknesses. It's compelling all the way through. They're having fun. There's romantic elements. There's fighting elements, but none of them. It's like there's none of the ugly stuff that the seasons prior and some seasons after it had. There's nothing where you'd be like, you know, the challenge, like warts. I always talk about like some of the seasons have warts on them that are like the challenge. It's part of your history. You're not proud that it's part of your history. This, this season doesn't have any of that. It's just like compelling characters, an interesting story, even though the story's sucked up by these couple of people everyone's involved in it everyone gets their little moments that's an interesting feel-good winner at the end all across the board it's just really well done and really well produced so in that like kind of framing i think it's one of the best of all time of just like it's really well done there's no you know like they nailed it on this one they like really knew what they were doing and they could put out a great product and they like confidently could be like we're going to give you a great product and deliver on it but it does it does fall just in maybe that tier two for me, the top of tier two, but I'm not quite, whenever I do my greatest seasons of all time, it's probably an honorable mention, but it's not quite going to make, you know, maybe the final five ballot, or maybe it does. I haven't, I haven't went through back through all the seasons yet. Eventually, once I've graded all of them on the same, same scale, we'll see, see where it ends up. But with that, Mike, I got to say thanks once, once again for not only joining me, but giving me so much of your time. On, on a busy NFL Sunday, as it is now. For all of those listening, can you let them know where best to follow you, where to get where to get all of your great content, maybe a couple, 
couple of recent interviews. That'd be best if someone hadn't listened to any of your interviews before, a good introduction for them, the way the Fresh Meat 2 might be a good intro season for them, a good intro interview for them if they're hopping in for the first time. Where 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 can they get in touch with you? Yeah, you guys can follow me on Instagram or just social media in general. I'm Mike Lewis Podcast, one word on Instagram and Twitter. And then obviously I'm across all platforms such as Spotify and Apple. The bulk of my work I like to put on my YouTube channel, which is Mike Lewis Podcast, all separate word. And I've recently interviewed Yes and Letarian from All Stars. Those are good places to start. But if you make all the way down to my you know, navigation of my channel and my podcast feed, you'll notice that I've got the Landons, the Car Marias of the world. So those are good places to start. If you want to hear more about Fresh Me Too, which is what we talked about in this, I talk a lot about that with them. So yeah, thank you again for having me. I had a ton of fun. Yeah. And I will, of course, link all of that in the show notes. Anyone listening could just go right there to click and find through and make sure to hit the follow subscribe so you don't miss anything from Mike in the future. And I will say, I have listened to a majority of your interviews before. I have listened to the Landon one before, but it's the one I'm going to actually go back and listen to again now because I was forgetting so much of it. Your, I believe it was your hundredth episode. You had Cara and Cara and Polly at the same time on. Am I remembering that correct? Yeah. yeah. Or like one, some big round number episode for you. I really, I remember. Really Landon was my fiftieth. Okay. Was Cara and Polly like your hundredth? I think Hasella was my one hundredth. Okay. I think Cara and Polly was like one twenty-five. I think. Okay. Yeah. I remember. I remember liking that dual interview with them, and I just thought it was a. They were you. It would called it. You know, it was a big round number. So you. you yeah, did yeah. What I've done and just been like, it's a big round number. I might as well say it too while doing this thing that I would have done anyways. But love those. And then my favorite, I think ever, which might be recency bias even though it wasn't a recent interview but i listened to it recently was brad who i think you've done multiple with brad is that possible i think one one just one brad. yeah i listened to well yeah the, the one it makes it easier to find but loved your interview with brad i li i listened to it way back when it first came out because it was a little earlier on in your podcast time it's definitely a 2021 right yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I listened to it recently. I met Brad at uh, one of the challenge mania events and uh, the couple days before it, I was like trying to get, trying to get some questions and things in my head. And so I re-listened to your interview with Brad to like, get me prepared for like, does he mention anything here? I'd want to like have him expound on or whatever. And that one's absolutely great. So if I could say, if anyone's trying to get a nice dive into what the Mike Lewis podcast experience is about, I thought that interview was really, really well done and really really interesting. And is one now I've listened to multiple times and enjoyed it both times. So I'll link everything below. Mike, thanks for being here and everyone listening. Thank you for being here. We'll be back with, with the, my full season grade here in a second, and then back with cutthroat here in a, in a week. So thanks for being here and thank you to you, Mike. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we just broke it all down with Mike. You just heard more or less my summary for where I'm putting this season all time. But 
as we've done with every season thus far, I've got to give it its official grade. I've got to break it down the same way we've done every other season. So we said goodbye to Mike. We've got to give our official season grade, and then we will get out of here as well. So as always, female cast, male cast, show grade, sport grade, that helps us build an overall grade for the show to put it in the Pantheon, to put it in the Hall of Fame, to put it in the rankings for all time where it stands with all all of the other challenge seasons. So let's do that now. As always, we start with the female cast, and we'll come back to this later, but we start the same as we've done with all the casting grades with heavy hitters, solid players, and duds, which we'll touch on later. Maybe this is the first time where I'm realizing I didn't do this part exactly right. But for the time being, heavy hitters on the female side, we've got Evelyn, Sarah, Paula, Laurel, Teresa, and Cara Maria. Yes, Three of those are rookies on this season, and that makes it all the more interesting. It's incredible on a rewatch to go back and be like, oh my God, Cara Maria is here and is out first. That's insane that she went on to be Cara Maria after the one episode we see here. But either way you slice it, those are the heavy hitters. Solid contributors, Jillian, Jen, Carly, Mandy, and Duds, Caitlin, Sydney, Sandy. You know, Sydney and Sandy... They gave us a moment or two uh, this season. They they maybe had potential, but we you know we don't see them again, and we don't get much from them. And Caitlin just never totally worked for me on this show either. So overall, you add that all up, it's a B plus on the female side. We've got six out of thirteen heavy hitters and four solid contributors, and the mix works really well for the show. So that's a B plus on the men's side. Touch lower. We got a B for the male cast grade. Heavy hitters: Landon, Kenny, West, Darrell. Solid contributors: Ryan, CJ. Danny, Pete, Noor, Luke, and Brandon, and then the only duds I would say of this group are Jeff and Vinny, certainly a dud on Vinny, Jeff, you know, it was a one-time thing, and, you know, he was getting yelled at by Paula to keep up with the former tuba player, so Jeff falls in the dud category as well, and overall, you know, a little bit more, just a lot of solid contributors, only the big four heavy hitters, which again, by design, that was to the benefit of the show. I'll touch a little on that again here at the end, but the male cast gets a B, as does the sport grade. Everything in this season was just good, really, really solid. It was the definition of a B. It was certifiably good. You could not say it was anywhere near average or bad or anything like that, but you also weren't going to point to many almost any moments that were great or that would be, you know, pushing towards an A category. This was just definitively a B across the board. There were a couple high highs with those nighttime exiles with specifically the Landon and Carly one that we gave the exile of the year award to. But overall, this is just a B all the way through, but do want to give another shout out. We mentioned it a time or two, I believe in the podcast, but this was also just a really well produced season from the competitive standpoint, zero issues. Everything was clear, really well done. Final challenge or really just like everything seemed to make sense to everyone involved and to us at home. All of that good, good stuff. Well produced, a solid B all around. And then the show grade, that's where this season gets its you know, gets its love, gets all of its accolades. The show part, that's a full-blown A. That is, again, 
the perfect casting to create the compelling storylines. So that worked incredibly. And the fact that everyone was a part of that same overarching storyline, everything we talked about for hours on end with Mike all rolled into this, a very, very good score on the show side. We had romance everywhere. We had parties everywhere. They were all having a great time and it matters when the cast is having a good time. It creates good TV, the roller coaster political swing of Wes to Kenny, the underdog story of Landon and Carly winning Jen and Mandy's fight. Brandon's DQ, the condiment fight, all those moments we talked about in that award and throughout the podcast, just in general, every single episode of the season is really, really good. This has the highest average rating. I grade every single episode. I don't just grade every single season. I grade every single episode as I watch these seasons. This season is the old, the first one ever to not have a single episode dip below a B minus every episode all 10 are in the B or A range just starts out hot with three the first three episodes of the season are flawless damn near perfect um and you know it's slightly slightly tapers off but only slightly it's like it tapers off to just really really solid to good to verge of great uh the rest of the season but it is as consistently good to great of a season as we've had up until this point, which leads me to the overall ranking then, which is going to be an A minus. We've got to put it in that top category. It's in the A rankings. It sneaks its way in. This is like the 91 on you know, your test. You just just barely by 1% got into that A range. And this season, to me, it, as, as Mike and I kind of said more or less, It's not a contender for the best season of all time, but it is invited to the banquet when we hand out that award. It is, it's in the room. It's not, you know, it's not one of the whatever number it'll be. Maybe it'll be three, maybe it'll be five, whatever the final number is of like, these are the ones really in contention for best season of all time. Fresh Meat 2 will be in that room. We'll be hanging out with those folks, you know, but it won't actually be up for the award or for that specific award. That's exactly how I feel about it, which makes an A- minus feel perfect. It's in the top tier. It's in the upper echelon, but... You know, it knows when it goes into that room that it is, you know, it it knows where it falls on the totem pole of that particular room and which would be at the bottom because Duel 1 remains number one of all the shows we have graded thus far. I would take Inferno 1 and Inferno 2, which both got A- minuses as well. I would put them above Fresh Meat 2 as well as Fresh Meat 1, which also got an A-. And right now, if you ask me right now which way I would lean Fresh Meat 1 or 2, if I had to break that tie, put one above the other, I'd honestly maybe even lean Fresh Meat 1. And part of that might just be me in the moment trying to not be biased about the season I just watched and my personal personal reasons for thinking this season is so fun for me as a fan and everything I like about the show and trying to be as objective as possible. So I don't know, but it's, that's where it's at. Fresh meat one and two are pretty much dead, even just on the bottom of the a level of the greatness level, but below the other couple of seasons who have got their way into that category, into that exclusive club, as we've done now 17 seasons. Again, this one ended up being a little bit out of order when you are listening to it. And the casting thing that I was referencing earlier is where where I might be seeing some flaws in my grading system now. We'll end on this. The casting grades were, you know, 
I've maybe gone against my own argument in this very podcast where I've said the, you know, this is the perfect casting job. They did it so well and that the goal of casting isn't the biggest names, but is to get a the right mix of people to create the opportunity for compelling storylines or the most opportunity for the most compelling storylines. And then I realized that my grading system for the cast is more or less just the bigger the names, the better. So I have argued against myself on this very podcast. And guess what? This is not the first time. I'm sure you're like, yeah, you do that like every other week, every other episode. But, you know, I'm doing it in a big way here. So I maybe will have to rethink how I'm doing the casting grades. But it is why this is not an average of, you know, male cast, female cast, sport grade, show grade. The average of those four equals your overall grade. It is not. In this instance, I weight that A in the show grade category way, way higher than I do the other three, the B plus, the B, and the B. That's how I come to an A minus. And that's That's how I kind of get myself out of the pickle that I put myself in by saying that, you know, my casting grades are based off this. But in actuality, this season is the definition of why casting isn't just the biggest names possible. So it's an A minus. It's a wonderful season. It might be my I mean, it's it's really high on my favorite seasons of all time. Again, subjective list, objective list objectively this is in the room but not in the conversation for the greatest season of all time but subjectively my personal taste and what I'm looking for and loving from this show this one is in the conversation for truly my favorite season of all time if I had to rewatch one only one I only got one of them that I was ever allowed to rewatch or that I got to show a friend who's never seen the show anything like that this one's in the conversation to be chosen. It's why I was so excited for this season, for this uh, doing this rewatch podcast, and why I've had so much fun doing it here at the end solo most of the time with my good friend Mike. I hope you have had a great time watching or listening, however you were consuming. We appreciate it very much. Thank you so much for being here. Hit that follow, subscribe button so you don't miss any future content. And remember, just because we went out of order doesn't mean that we're skipping Duel 2 or Ruins both Very interesting, very worthwhile seasons to talk about for their own reasons, but we will be doing those. We will be back next week on Monday with Duel 2 the following Monday with The Ruins. Maybe solo on those again, and then we'll uh, possibly have some co-hosts coming up again once we hit Season 20. Cutthroat Mike might be back for that one or another. We might have a couple others popping in. Who knows who's going to pop on and talk to us about. We've got, I mean, once we hit Cutthroat, We're really going there for a minute. Cutthroat, rivals, exes, free agents, rivals and exes too. I mean, yes, I skipped Battle of the Seasons, but uh, that's just how it goes. We're about to hit the peak, peak, peak challenge territory here very, very soon. But for now... That is all for today. Thank you for being here. As always, if you have any comments about this pod or any of the pods you just want to chop it up about the challenge, hit me up on Instagram at Challenge Historian. Happy to talk challenge any day of the week. Remember, Season 38 Preview comes out this Wednesday. Challenge Documentary Recap on Friday. Recap and Survivor if you're a Survivor fan as well. Those are on Most Likely too. Thank you for being here. I'll talk to you again soon. Peace.